Welcome to Vital Social Issues and Stuff with Chris and John Wayne. I am John Children Wayne. That's right. With me, as always, is my most music, most hey. amazing co-host, Christopher Triana. Christopher, what's up, buddy? Make you smile. I bid you ready. Why don't you stay a while? We are already on it, guys. We're on one today. Uh, of course, we are in the midst of our Monsters series. Uh, we're talking Monsters, Universal and Beyond. And uh, we've got guests, special guests, and, and, and returning to the show today. I can't even get to them. I'm not going to have any fucking banter with Chris right now. I'm bringing the guests up right fucking now. He's one of my favorites. He's a show favorite. He is an amazing uh, horror author, uh, British person. And all the horror stuff that they think is neat. He's taken. That's right. The newly married Donathan Butcher. Fuck it. I'm going to do it. You've already done it, but it's fun. Ah, ah. The full two. Oh, you about Go back to your own country. Yeah, thanks for having me back again. Love it. Absolutely, dude. Thanks for being here, man. Um, how are things over there with you? Uh, like we said, newly married, and the wife has moved in. Uh, you you moved you you imported her from America uh, to you. Uh, how's things going, man? Awesome. Uh, crazy busy. Um, we finally got her stuff um, over here. It arrived uh, on Thursday, so the house is just like half an absolute bomb site with just boxes and boxes everywhere, but half like awesome. As I was showing you guys beforehand, um, it, it you, I basically used to have one poster on the wall, and that was the extent of what I bothered to do while I was living here. Now, but what, now well, we've got like, huh? I was just going to ask, the poster was a girly poster, right? Uh, it was a girl with her brain exploding and like frogs and people and donkeys and pigs and stuff flying out of it and uh, a spiral coming out of her head. You know, Shintaro okay, Kago? So, Chris, you know, pretty sexy. That's, yeah, a, that's, so that's how to they you, do. that's sexy. Yeah, yeah pretty hot. That's yeah. how they, they do girly posters in, in Britain. And, you know, yes. well, Japan, UK. but yeah, that's fine. Uh, but now we've got all yeah, sorts it of definitely sounds more Japanese. Yeah. Well, until you exactly. boil it. There you go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, all sorts of creepy, means. wacky shit all around the house now. Like the the, the skull count has has multiplied uh, immeasurably. I've got just one, two, three, four, five, six skulls just within this room, and there were zero uh, in, until she arrived here. So one all, all uh, yeah. uh, uh, skull, two skulls, <laughs> uh, 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 counting, of course. Uh, yeah, that's amazing, this bad boy. Ooh, awesome. Oh, that's I never had any of this beforehand. I love it. I love it. That's and that's a good thing. You know, you move in, you know, you got your wife moving in, you get all her cool stuff. Now it's yours. Exactly. You it's know? a proper horror house now. Proper. Yeah. And, 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 you know, even if things don't work out, you get half of her stuff. I mean, that's yeah. how oh, you. Right? Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> the way that I'm thinking two months into her arriving. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, I told you we are the best people to take advice from when it comes to oh yeah when it, yes um, when it comes to marriage, marriage learn life advice everything yes learn from our failures yes life love and la bamba remember that no it's awesome um with yeah we're still getting things organized but i'm looking forward to just writing and living the horror life uh with her because 
there's all sorts of exciting projects and shit that we're looking forward to uh, both collaborating on and also doing our, uh, ourselves. So all good I love with it. us. I love it. Do you want to? That's, that's great, man. Your wife is also a writer. Do you want to give her exactly. a shout out of her work? Right yeah, now. yeah. Um, well, her real name now is Michelle Butcher, since she foolishly married me. But Ooh, la, la. Her, her writing name but is much, Michelle much... Von Eschen. Oh, well, she should change it because Butcher is such a great name for a horror writer. Yeah. You know? I, well, this is why she insisted on taking uh, taking my name. I was like, I don't mind if you take my name if you don't. I'm a modern guy. And I, and she was like, No, I'm having your name because she wanted. Yeah. I, I want it. horrible shit. So, <laughs> I <Dude. want> <laughs> it's, it's a modern um, world, you know. <laughs> it's, it's a modern world, Chris, you know. Chris, Chris I, guess, I guess, I guess we can go ahead and let him know. We were going to say this till the end, but uh, we've had you on the show the requisite amount of times where now uh, Chris and I can both take your last name. So, yes, uh, yes we're all butchers here. There it's we it's called barrel. It. Yeah, it's it's common law marriage in a sense. Law Virtual common law. Yeah. There's a lot of weird laws now with the internet and stuff. So you're yeah, basically don't worry about it. They could do anything with that internet. You know, I mean Triana Butcher has got a ring to it, but Wayne Communali Butcher is a little bit pretentious, I would say. And you don't seem like a pretentious guy. <laughs> it's so. like a hat on a hat, but you know, hey. It's a little long. <laughs> it's a little long. That's what yeah. she said. Uh <laughs> sorry, that's my one. Everybody gets one. Um mm. Well, that's awesome, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, well, well, I'm sorry. You were talking. Of, we, we went. We got on her name. Please give her a shout out. <laughs> yeah, um, she's written all sorts of uh, awesome stuff. Um, my favorite is her most recent, which is uh, Old Farmhouses of the North, which is a very, very morbid but beautifully written collection of uh, literary horror. But she's got another one coming out in, I think, two weeks' time, which is a short one, 10,000-word novelette, um, which is kind of like a Black Mirror-style um, take on bereavement, essentially. So someone loses their husband, and then there is a knock at the door, with a box that simply talks to her saying condolences um and it's like yeah um a dark uh literary kind of playful tale uh, and that's coming out on godless on i think february the first cool nice nice yeah, I, I love that too I, I love that um i love when there's a couple a creative collaborating couple i love to see that you know um to, for you to be now married to another horror writer is just wonderful so i'm very happy yeah, neither of us imagined doing doing that that's yeah it, it's wicked yeah. it very is very cool talking about projects and yeah stuff we want to do yeah I've knowing only... that whenever you say do you fancy a horror film the answer will always be yes yes i that's do a, that's a beautiful thing that is a beautiful yeah. thing yeah i've been i've been searching for that kind of girl uh but <laughs> yeah i've had a few in my life i've had one that was actually a, a real creative collaborator with me but otherwise no uh, so that's that's a real gem when you can when you can find that. So congratulations again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. How have you guys been? Oh man, just the best. <laughs> uh, John Wayne, why don't you go ahead and talk about your life, which is probably better than mine. <laughs> I uh, man, I've been awesome. I've been uh, I've actually been <clears throat> kind of talking about this lately. Like this is. Uh, I spent this is like my one year anniversary of living in Las Vegas uh, it was January 1st. And yes. this last stint that I've been home since I stopped traveling, I guess the last show I did was at the beginning of December. This is the longest that I've actually been in town since like for a, a once period of time since I moved here. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm yeah. like, oh, wow. So uh, I mean, it is rare to see you sit still. But yeah, so I've just been, uh, you know, kind of doing that. Like we were talking earlier about having a hard time relaxing. So I'm 
I've got all this stuff coming out, but then I'm working on stuff just because I'm I'm working and and uh, uh, you know, I'm a little antsy in the pantsy to get back out on the road for sure. Which I was supposed to like at as of this record uh, last night, I was supposed to be in L.A. for a show, but they ended up canceling it because uh, you know California is getting a bunch of yeah, it's flooded weather yeah. right now. So yeah. it was a hundred percent chance of rain. So they, it was an outdoor market. They canceled it just for whatever. So they moved it hopefully, but uh, I do get started uh, traveling pretty soon and I'm just ready to get, get out there. You know what I mean? So otherwise Where's the first spot you're going to be heading to. Uh, so if they redo the, 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 the show that was canceled is supposed to be rescheduled for the, this weekend, like the 21st uh, it's in Santa Ana, California, which is like in the LA area. And then after that, I'll like leave and head to Atlanta for uh, Days of the Dead. And I will be celebrating my birthday. I don't know if we'll get to do a birthday show before then, but uh, uh, so that'll be like, I'm just going to basically burn that convention down in, in the name of me being born. And uh, we'll see. So then, then, then they're like, dude, like I was looking at my calendar, like March, I'm, I'm on the road for like maybe six weeks straight at some points. Um, it's going to be a good year. So it's excited. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Uh, well, so uh, shall we get into our show then? I guess, but Chris, I want to ask you a question before we do. Uh, yeah. Last week we talked about it. The, the weed shops opened in your area. Have you? Oh, yes. Yet? John Wayne's Weed Corner. <laughs> oh, uh, I can't uh, contribute. Oh no! Well, we know that you uh, that you partake, though. You've elsewhere that. when I'm in a country where it's entirely where it's legal only, to do only so. where it's legal, only where it's absolutely. legal. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, much like John Wayne and I always did before it was legal. We would wait till we were somewhere where it was legal. <laughs> anyway, as he smokes right now, which is great. Um, <laughs> yeah, they opened. I haven't gone yet. I've been smoking harmless tobacco this whole this time. This whole time, this whole time. Uh, no, I think, but they have opened, but they have I opened. haven't gone yet. Yeah, because I, I still have some left over, uh, so I haven't needed to go yet. So I haven't bothered. That's that's yeah. cool. I just am waiting for the. I want to. I want to know how the experience is when you go to like your local sure. hometown dispensary, where they're going to be like, "It's Chris Butcher in the house." You know when you know <laughs> when exactly. I walk in. The yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll know. They'll know. Um, so is it, it's not new, newly legalized in Massachusetts, is it? You're in Massachusetts, right? No, I'm in Connecticut. Um, what the fuck which, did I think you were we'll Massachusetts for? I mean, they're, well, they're neighboring, and you know, they're both okay. in New England. Um, and, no, because yeah. he said he drives to Massachusetts. He, to Massachusetts. Right. Yeah, that's why probably. Right, right. So, yeah, it's it's been legal in Massachusetts, uh, It uh, and but it's been legal to sell as well. So I would drive to Massachusetts to get it. Whereas in Connecticut, it's been legal for a while. But there's a lot of laws and loopholes and paperwork before dispensaries can start to sell it legally. So even though marijuana was made completely legal here like years ago, mm -hmm. uh, it's taken a while for the dispensaries to open. But finally, dispensaries have opened now uh, yeah. where you can just walk in without without needing a prescription. You can walk in and just buy your weed. So, nice. uh, yeah, that was just recently. It was uh, last Tuesday. And but I haven't gone yet because I haven't needed any, and I I hate going anywhere. Um, so if <laughs> if so, I do, there's like I hate no. Even if I like the place and I end up getting stuff like I hate the act of going. Well, I, uh, it, so I wait till I really need something before I bother to go. In your compound. Yes, I, I just I'm I like living in the middle of nowhere by myself. Thank you. That's why I thought maybe you'd be like because like now you you know you don't have to drive to Massachusetts. That's like even a lesson. Yeah. 
going which is great you know what i mean so oh absolutely yeah this is this, this will be this will be like a 15 minute drive to my local guy uh as opposed to the hour drive i was doing so yeah i love that you're gonna love it dude oh yeah I love it. i'm going to oasis after this record too by the way uh my, that's my you, the band yeah i thought, uh, I thought you were gonna go uh, see them live i want to see oasis uh they're on reunion tour it's one of these uh the middle of middle of the day sunday concerts that they're <laughs> yeah, right. some reason. yeah you're gonna see uh, them with with hootie and the blowfish and nickelback right well hootie's gonna be there the blowfish uh they've blown away they could only get one blowfish yeah <laughs> yeah and they got blowfly so it's like hootie and the blowfly and uh <laughs> yes Yes. Uh, actually like new year's eve like so where i live by fremont street in downtown like old downtown they have like uh music on fremont concerts on fremont where there'll be like free concerts and it'll be like you know fucking um you know striper or some shit like that and they'll like drop in whatever bands but like on new year's eve they had uh you actually had to pay to get behind the little barrier where it is but you could see it from anywhere but it was sugar ray and bush and Ooh. i was like wow how the mighty have fallen. And then it was hilarious because like across town at uh, the Bellagio or Venetian or something, Gwen Stefani was like playing the same night. Yeah. Yeah. Your ex-husband's playing on the street for 50. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Well, the guy, the guy, I think I might be confusing him with one of those other, you know, cause all of those nineties guys kind of blur together to me, but I am pretty sure the guy from Bush ended up being homeless for a while and like living on the street. Cause he had such bad drug problems. I think it was him, wasn't it? Or it might have been that's, one of the that's other. That's a different. That's a different band. That's someone else. Someone okay. else. Okay. Gavin Rosdale. That's that. Hedge. Definitely did not live on the streets. <laughs> he was bad. It was somebody though. His, no, but yeah. but I mean recently. I mean like. Oh, you know, oh no no no! It wasn't him. Sorry. Okay, but but no, there was there was a guy who was like from one of those bands who was like the lead singer and everything. He was very famous for a while, but then like the band after the '90s lost popularity and ended up being like living on the street i can't remember what band it was i thought maybe it was bush but i'm i'm like i said i may be wrong all those people blur together to me maybe it was blur mm-hmm. uh, bush something like that shave your bush i don't care i don't know all those guys end up dying from heroin overdoses anyway that's that's it if you were in the 90s they give you a heroin yeah, overdose and send stone, the new millennium yeah, yeah that's true alice in chains stone temple pilots blind melon they all you know all so and the rest <laughs> on that happy note right. i mean i'm I going think... to see the pixies uh in march and thankfully that's none awesome. of them have yet died of a heroin overdose so I'm hoping that's, they that's stick kind it out of until march yeah that's hey. kind of surprising yeah, still that's... time though yes. <laughs> there's still time uh, yeah absolutely well, so on stage so you're going to see the pixies uh that's uh that's a little different yeah. from last time we talked to you when you saw romstein a little different that was awesome. Yeah. No, I like all sorts of stuff. I like everything from like Motown to synthwave to utterly unpronounceable black metal bands from, yeah. you know, Eastern Europe. Nice. I'm I'm really uh I'm really just like all reggae is is my thing. Nothing but <laughs> yeah. reggae at all times. Yeah, so like THC you got flowing through your system now. That's what that's it, what it, it is. That's what happened. That's what happened. Actually, I, I can't I kid. I just want to clarify to everyone that like I kid. Don't send me your reggae shit. I hate it. I, that's like I'm totally choking. <laughs> and that's I funny really because like if you're not watching the YouTube, Chris is actually wearing one of those Rasta hats that, <laughs> Rasta. that have the dreads <laughs> built in. There's a big button that says "Too cool for this planet." Yeah, <laughs> he says that, but he's got the hat with the dreads. I don't know. So yeah. whatever, take yes. it well. Yes. So, uh, on that uh, note, it's probably time to. Uh, 
let's let's do this fucking Reggae show. on through. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to our first topic, book of the week. book of the week chris is like flapping his dreadlocks along he's like going mm-hmm. nuts dude it's it's absolutely cool man he put on like two pairs of sunglasses book of the week chris yeah uh so book of the week this is going to be an interesting one uh because this is the first time our book of the week isn't exactly a book um but it is by an author an author that uh, we know and love everyone who listens to the show must know and love this author uh and it's a very interesting product so we're going to talk about it this is john wayne's own tarot card collection that's right hey and it's our show so we can do whatever we want uh yeah yeah, book of the week this week we're actually talking about the john wayne is dead tarot skeledeck uh which has just come out this week that we are recording so um yeah so some of you know or or don't know or just finding out uh i do i'm I'm a tarot guy i've been into tarot cards for a little while and i started to draw uh my own set a little while back Uh, excuse me but i think they're called tarot bros i think that's the the, what they prefer to be called is that a thing no i don't know hashtag tarot bro now pulling shit as usual i'm just pulling shit out i love it it sounds great it sounds tarot bros i'm a tarot bro um and uh yeah and i I live by the shore um no so i got really into tarot and i'm very it's it's interesting to me i don't i don't uh look at it in, in a sense of like this is telling you your future it's very uh it's a very interesting exercise to just kind of get perspective a lot of times and and kind of reframe things uh when you do tarot and uh so it was suggested to me at one point to like hey you should do your own deck and i was like sure i should and then i was like maybe i should so i sat down and did it it took a while it's been two years in the making uh, but it is finally out and arrived. It's a seventy-eight card yeah. deck, uh, and um, yeah. yeah, I want, I, I, yeah, I just, I just wanted to ask you about that. Like, you know, how many cards there are, and um, it, it looks like it comes in its own special case too. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, as we were talking, uh, I mentioned this last week. Scott Cole was on the the program. Shouts out. Mm-hmm. He does layout and stuff. He actually did the the layout for this box for me. That's really I cool. Yeah, that's that badass. And when you open the box, like you see like the little the pentagrams are on the flaps in there. Oh, nice. And, and, like, and you did all of the artwork for all of these. Oh, yeah. This is everything of, about this 100% I made all of this. So it's like the 78 cards is based on the Rider Waite deck. So if you're familiar with tarot at all, it's like kind of the OG original deck that, you know, uh, you'll see oftentimes. Um, but it's based on that deck uh, just with all my skeleton characters. Um and I, I'm very like when I talk to people about this, like at cons and stuff, I'm very I like to mention that it, the symbolism in the cards is very important. So like with a lot of custom decks uh, where people like just do like whatever kind of art, because you can find a billion different custom decks like you could. Find oh, yeah. The Michael Fucking, Myers custom. Deck yeah. Or, yeah. The, you know, Simpsons, or the Simpsons yeah. Golden anything I've seen, you know, yeah. and, and that stuff is fun and funny or, or it can be really cool art. But what I have a problem with there is just like, okay, this is badass. What does this mean? Like, why is this this the seven of swords? Like, what this is a dragon. Um, so there's just like certain small aspects of cards that I, I kept that, but it still has my flair. Each card has a 
the stitched together heart that's like a kind of a a theme for the deck and uh there's a lot of eyeballs that are floating through there so so people who are familiar with this particular form of the tarot deck they'll be able to know what the cards are right from the batches from looking at them they'll still be able to read the deck pretty easily if you well wait you said if they don't know tarot or if they if they do if they're familiar with it yeah 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 yeah, that's that's what i mean it's like they're you're you're even though it's your original art it's not it's not like totally doing something completely different it's still playing into it's what like a traditional deck means. like right the, right yeah, the, yeah it's not a, right. a departure from the from it's the... it's user it's user friendly is what i mean yeah yeah because i'm familiar with a number of like diff- different like traditional ones i play a game where a number of the things that you collect are like power-ups or whatever are like it's got that hanged man and death and the hierophant and, and stuff like that is it so you haven't put your own spin on the actual cards themselves it's more the artwork within a traditional tarot framework exactly yeah it's like my version of that artwork of that of this it's my style but like with my touches like i said the heart the heart is in every single card it's present in every single card uh on my deck and then i have the eyeballs my like that i kind of incorporate in certain aspects of it but the main idea of what those cards represent is still within the artwork that i've created oh yeah i was just saying before we started i was really interested to talk to you a little bit uh, about your take on tarot cards and not to get too too heavily into it but like my introduction to you uh, through like many of the the writerly connections was through facebook <clears throat> one of us requested the other and we never interacted but i saw your stories um which were often you like discussing a particular tarot card and, mm-hmm. and the meaning that's in that and like um i'm like i i don't believe in it in very much apart from just like the, the stuff that i can see and touch but i'm really interested in um different people's attitudes towards stuff like that whether they believe in it or not Cause like for example michelle's brought um a ouija board into the house and i don't believe that when you use a ouija and, and sorry to to compare the two things if that's a, a bad comparison no. No, um but like I don't believe that it contacts the dead or anything like that, but I think that it can have quite a strong effect on people who are doing it because of the the subconscious effect of of believing in the power of of an abstract force um, c- can have on you. So I was it, I was interested to know whether you believe that there's some supernatural element to it, or whether it's just something that you enjoy because it's almost like meditative and it helps you like sort out your thoughts. Uh, like, Sorry, not to get too deep into it, but I was interested what, what no, you actually absolutely. feel about the, the cards themselves. Yes. No, I don't, I do not think there's a supernatural element to it. It, it is the more of the meditative, like I said, it's, 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 it helps kind of reframe thoughts sometimes and give you perspective or, or maybe even realize like something that you're just like, like that's just fucking with you pick for instance like if there's a card like the five of of cups the the very simple image is a guy like he's standing there he's he's got his like cloak rope wrapped around him there's storm clouds he's looking down at three cups in front of him that that are spilled one man three cups one man three cups (laughs) behind him are two cups standing upright that are full and the two girls and the two girls and they are fucking going to town dude they're yeah. doing some gross shit yeah. dude, that's why that's why you don't show them as all much the hottest gr- fucking sucking shit eating it's great <laughs> no but like it, it you know so you can there's all there's a lot of elements of, of symbolism things like that but the main thing of that is like sometimes we can get really caught up in what's not going well 
for us, or, or maybe we've had a few things like fall through or something and we're just caught up and they can be small things. We're dwelling, we're dwelling, we're dwelling. And when we do that, we cut ourselves off from like, Hey, there's these opportunities right here. All you have to do is stop dwell, like pull yourself out of that and turn around and they're there. Now that doesn't mean that this is predicting the future. Like you will meet a very beautiful, like I'm going to turn around and literally find opportunities. It's just kind of a reminder or to change your thought to be like, you know what? I can't do anything about what this is spilling more energy into this is a waste. Let me detect, like feel my feelings, whatever you have to do, go through it different for everybody, easier said than done, but I'm not going to let these things or, or trip up my mind to where I'm totally unengaged in being able to even find the new opportunities that are going to be there. So that's just kind of like a general, you know, 10,000 mile, whatever thing looking at it. Yeah. Th- I, I, I'll cool. have- I'll, I'll add too that, um, you know, uh, and this is going to sound derogatory at first, but it's not because I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, me as uh, me as just being a an, an old man who's set in his ways, like I always thought of tarot cards as as a bunch of hooey. I thought of it much like the Ouija board, of it just being like people like fortune tellers being like, and now, like you said, like the tall dark stranger will come into your life. I always thought of it like that, like horoscopes and all that, but. John Wayne, you have explained what you to me before what you just explained, but I've had other friends tell me the same thing that they don't use tarot cards thinking that it's going to predict anything or that there's any supernatural communication with ghosts or anything like that, but that they use it to kind of like as a meditative thing to like work out their own problems that they're having in life and change the way that they think about of how they approach each problem. Uh, so yeah, it's something that I've had to like open my. I mean, I still don't use them, but it's something that I've opened. I've had I've had my mind open to reason reason recently um, that it's not necessarily um, you know the the supernatural stuff that some people associate it with as I used to associate it with. Right, and it's presented that way in media a lot. You know, you see oh, totally you break yeah. out the tarot cards in a in a movie. It's like you know, oh, the death card, no. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, such- yeah, it's always, it's always like the old gypsy grandmother reading it to the young, the young person like, oh, I, or, you know, even married to children did it, you yeah. know, where they're like, yeah. oh, I see, I see nothing. It's like, no, you're going to die in a horrible cra- plane crash, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even married to children did it. So, but yeah, it's been like, I think that it gets presented <laughs> that way, but no, absolutely. And it's different for everybody and whatever, but that's, that's how I, I've chosen to, uh, to a little known fact is you are also an old gypsy woman. Well, <laughs> I rip off my face on Mission Impossible style. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know that, but I'm in. I'm in the. I'm in the. the in the know on that one. Yeah, you help um, me, like uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, and myself at your house all those times. Like absolutely. Friends, so. Yeah, I drew all those tattoos on you by hand. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for your patience and your service. <laughs> absolutely. So, if people um, also agree that those cards look fucking awesome as i just did where would they be able to get hold of them how much do they go yep. for oh absolutely so this is uh they are at johnwayneisdead.com in the shop page right now and of course i will have these on the road with me uh at my table um this is like series one so there's 100 decks like this and then after this they will the the packaging will change and there will be some different elements uh but these are selectable that's right 75 bucks a deck uh <laughs> and they are johnwaynesdead.com check it out beautiful very cool you're beautiful very cool and i love seeing that kind of innovation you know where an author will come up with different things that they can that still is very much in tune with who they are and the type of stuff that they put out as an author. 
but it's a whole new product, a whole new thing that gives the the fans something, uh, a little something extra to look forward to. So congrats on uh, finishing it because I know you've been working on it for a very long time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So thank you. Guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. That brings us to our next segment, which is everyone's favorite. Ridiculous reads. Okay, it is mine. <laughs> what happened? Did you hear something else happening? <laughs> no, for because because for a minute there, I could see your lips moving, but I couldn't hear you at all. So oh, I, you I was lost. No, oh, but now I well, can. <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, maybe I was because I was just singing. You know what? Ridic- it, it's ridiculous, and that's like the segment. Okay, go. very good. Ridiculous reads. Okay, I'm on ridiculous reads this week, uh, and I. I decided to go with something that plays into uh, this whole theme that we've been doing of monsters. Uh, I thought it would be good to do. And it's a silly book, but it's also intended to be silly. Um, This is a book written by Dave Elliott, and it is called A Field Guide to Monsters. Ooh. Ooh. And of course, we've got our, yeah, we've got our our belly, uh, our, our buddy, Bella Lugosi on the cover there. We're gonna be do you think that? Uh, do you later. think that his name? Do you think he changed his name to Bella because he was originally named Belly and he thought that was too silly, Belly Lugosi? You know, that, that's probably right. Uh, <clears throat> sounds right. Thank you. They look into that. Uh, so anyway, this book is presented as like almost like an army survival guide, but for monsters. It's really like how to recognize them, the different types, classifying them, uh, frequently asked questions about monsters monster size comparison chart like stuff like that so it's just like a fun tongue-in-cheek little thing but like um, like profiling basically yeah it is it is it's uh, monster profiling um but no it tells you what to look for their weaknesses their lethality their behavior uh and so given everything that we're going to talk about tonight i figured i would go straight to the chapter on count vlad dracula so I'm going to read this. This is from the Field Guide of Monsters telling you about Dracula and how to handle him, if you can. Count Vlad Dracula, Romanian prince, uh, became a fierce warrior exacting revenge on those that murdered his father. After a fierce and bloody reign, which included impaling his enemies on large wooden stakes by the thousands, he was murdered, damned by the church, and rose from the dead after making a deal with Satan. His goal is to repopulate the earth with legions of followers of not quite living, but grateful dead. Huh? See how he's being funny there? I like that. So far, he has been quite successful in his mission. Just look at Willem Dafoe, Clarissa Flockhart, Lara Friend Boyle, and Mark Anthony. (laughs) Okay, so he's basically implying that all of these actors are... um, Vampires. Now, now I get what kind of book this is. Oh. Yeah, it's it's a silly book. Yes. Where's Nick Cage? He's definitely a vamp. He definitely is. And Keanu Reeves, yeah, definitely a vampire. Any of those guys that just don't age. Yeah. Um they anyway, they must be on this earth to do Dracula's bidding. How else can you explain their uber emaciated bodies? Hmm? Okay, so now he's uh he's body shaming too. Anyway, Dracula's behavior. Uh, the originator of the quote-unquote night shift, huh? he sleeps all day and seeks to increase his following by stalking victims in villages and cities where beautiful women and influential men like to be kissed on the neck. 
so now as an influ influential man myself, I got to say, I do like getting uh, neck kisses very much. Uh, I, I can uh, attest to that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it also states in here that uh, he wouldn't be caught dead in, a ca in any casual wear. Uh, which is very true. He, he likes to dress up. He's a he's a cape loving kind of guy. Uh, anyway, that's that's about his behavior. His lethality, like a lawyer, he sucks you dry and then expects Ooh. you to thank him. Huh? <laughs> uh, lawyer jokes. My am, am I right? I get that. His bites cause death, then undeath, and infrequently. Your own sequel film. I'm gonna keep moving. I'll insert <laughs> some laughter and like applause and <laughs> yeah, just because we need it. Right? Raucous laughter has got me. <laughs> yeah, this, this book is something else. Uh, his weaknesses: he casts no shadow or reflection. Hates crosses. Hates daylight. Christian religious symbols. Holy water. Bottled water. Which is interesting. I think that was he just threw that in for yucks. Um, garlic in a form, wooden stakes, and silver bullets and daggers. Uh, he likes to match wits with vampire hunters. Must sleep all day in a coffin with native soil. When starved for blood, he begins to show his age, something he can do at will if necessary. Um, so his, under his powers, it says he can morph into a wolf, bat, or cloud of mist. Uh, that he has a hypnotic stare has the ability to change his features, but this can take years to do, but uh, but does explain the difference of in appearance over time. So that's how he, that's the breakdown of Dracula. Uh, now, it's, to go along with this, I wanted to read another part of the field guide to monsters uh, called How to Protect Yourself Against Monsters. You know, because this is very helpful information. Uh, so this is just a, I'm sorry. Kung Fu. Uh, I'm trying to guess what kind of yeah. Okay, you protect that's that's, yourself. that's a good that's a good suggestion. Um, so this is just a cursory glance of the checklist on the preceding pages. Uh, it is immediately clear that the number of monsters is pretty daunting. You cannot expect to be fully prepared and armed at all times. Should you be suddenly attacked by one or more of these monsters, arming yourself with knowledge about them can be your greatest weapon. We can't stress enough the importance of using this field guide. Even in his smaller, more modest edition, Professor Van Helsing knew that properly used, this book can save your life. First, there are those items you can easily carry around in your pocketbook, jacket, or on your person. The crucifix, universal symbol of God. This will ward off most vampires, as will the Star of David or any other major religious icons. Our advice is to always wear it around your neck. Now, that's interesting because... Um, I don't think I've ever seen a vampire movie where the Star of David was used to propel the vampire. There should be though, you know, like they should make like a a, a Jewish Dracula. There should be, yeah. but like that's uh, we talk about that later. We brought we alluded to it last week in the werewolf thing about like different legends and stuff. So I do, right? Remember. But yeah, that's right. interesting that you bring that up though. Uh, our advice is to always wear it around your neck. It may be in easy reach of a breast pocket or handbag, but vampires rarely come at you with warning. This way, if they try to bite you, they'll suddenly be thrown back by the power of the symbol around your neck. If this happens, the vampire will stagger back in pain and shock. Get away as fast as you can without looking back. Do not try pressing towards the vampire with the cross. This is a typical beginner's mistake. No, after the initial shock, he will focus on you instead. If you make eye contact with the beast, you're a goner. It will hypnotize you into throwing the cross to one side and then kill you on the spot. 
So that sounds like sound advice right there. Small garlic spray to be carried in your pocket. It's like the old pepper spray cans, but with garlic solution instead. This spray directly into Vampire's face will blind him for days and may even permanently scar him. So that's another pretty nifty idea, if I do say so. Uh, wait, now, wait. So, so what am I at home, like, making my own fucking garlic fucking mist to put in this thing hey, and spray it around, you, or what? If well, you're you smart, yeah. Well, you can you can buy, a, uh, like, a garlic oil spray, too. Like, people buy it. Like oh, like a cooking like, spray. Yeah, for cooking and stuff. So you could make your own. But, but yeah, well, um, you could make your own, but you can also buy it. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I mean, this is life and death shit. So, you yeah. know, to, to mash up some garlic and boil up a bit of water is not too bad, you know, when you're yeah, protecting yourself. But I'm already sharpening from... all these steaks. I'm trying to make sure I don't invite the people in that shouldn't come in. You know, I got all this other stuff on my mind. Now I got to watch a boil yeah, pot of garlic and shit. Yeah, it's a 24 7 commitment when you're protecting yourself seriously against monsters. So, yeah, it is. You know, like, yeah, you got to take this shit seriously, man. It's, uh, you can't you can't be lazy about it and be like I don't feel like boiling garlic. You got to do it to protect yourself and your family. All right, so thank you guys. I appreciate but, it. You're welcome. You're welcome. So uh, we had talked like like you had just mentioned, John. We talked a lot about silver bullets um, in the last episode where we talked about werewolves. So this is this is interesting that he threw this in here. Um, silver bullets. If you're intending on carrying a gun. Make like the Lone Ranger and use silver bullets. The Lone Ranger carried them for a reason. The silver bullet will not st will stop not only vampires but werewolves as well. Now, stop, stop. That, that's I, where I, I was going to, to stop. I have to break in here. Mm -hmm. This a whole book just throw in the garbage. The Lone Ranger rode a horse named Silver. He didn't shoot silver bullets. No, he did. He did. When? He's, no, no. He always used silver bullets, but he didn't the use Lone Ranger. Yes, trust me on this. I, I love the Lone Ranger. I loved it growing up. Yeah, and you're right. He had a horse named Silver, but he did use silver bullets. But that was just like his calling card. Like, you know, he would he would save the day and people would find silver bullets and be like, the Lone Ranger was here. He Rich didn't use Rich. them on fucking he didn't use them on fucking Dracula. He didn't use them on werewolves. He just How do you know? silver bullets. Well, there was lost, never an episode. episodes. There was Shit. never an episode that I Are, saw where he did that. Wait, does this throw into the balance like everything? Like, was every episode of The Lone Ranger about him fighting a vampire or, or a werewolf? No. Nope. Are you sure? <laughs> Chris is having none of that. No, nope. positive. I wish that would have been great. I would have loved to see that. Uh, while we did get stuff like Billy the Kid meets Dracula, we never got. I watched the Lone that. Uh, we're gonna talk. Dracula. We're gonna talk about that later. Okay, so we had stuff like that, but we didn't have the Lone Ranger. But the book also says, it says this in a stupid way. The silver bullet will stop not only vampires, but werewolves as well. You should really have phrased that differently, because we all know silver bullets will, will kill the werewolf, but vampires, you don't hear that much. But as we yeah. discussed before, silver is is an element that vampires you know, it, can't handle. So like yeah, catch-all monster repellent seems. It is, so, it is. Yeah. But the way he says it is if it's known that it's used for vampires, but oh, by the way, you can kill a werewolf with it. It's like, what are you talking I, about, dude? I agree. Uh, right. The silver. He says the silver spreads out on impact, tearing their hearts to ribbons. Just be careful, as the older the vampire, the more explosive his end can be. Such combustions will leave terrible burns on the carpet. It's a good point. Well, you know, they well, say that shag. Good knowledge. Older the berry, the sweeter the juice, right? Sure. Uh, and one the final track, thing. The bigger the bang. One final thing uh, he says is an important tool to have is running shoes. And this is good advice. <laughs> uh, they are the must-have item 
a good pair of running shoes because even in your dreams when the boogeymen come you have got to get running obviously to battle all the monsters featured in this book would mean you would have to carry everything from missile launchers to cans of raid on your person at all times and as john wayne said you know that's a lot of hassle uh, this would be a problem for most but there are solutions as we said earlier consult your guide as you move about have with you what is recommended for specific areas in the workplace for example pool resources with your coworkers and have a few essentials at the office let your employer know that the government now offers tax breaks for having full monster fighting defense plans and weapons in the workplace uh yeah this is a great idea folks go into work tomorrow and talk to your boss about that <laughs> be extra careful at home with this equipment especially if there are children around don't ever let the kids know where the weapons are as children are usually the first to be turned by an invading force don't give evil an advantage this is his advice not mine and as a final note we can't emphasize this enough men beware despite what you see in the movies men are more frequent victims than women are when stalking her prey a female vampire does not have time to wait for her victim to be alone any time is an opportune time all she has to do is flirt a, a little with the guy toss back her hair and give him a playful smile and the poor fool is hooked before he knows what hits him he's vampire food yeah i can, I think, I can see that like men are way more susceptible to uh, an attractive person than a woman because yes. like a, a, a male vampire i like to typical dracula would have to hypnotize a woman to, to to do it in in the general sense i think mm -hmm. most of the time a female vampire wouldn't have to bother they could just be like plonk and the guy yep. is mesmerized anyway whether whether yep. it's you know eye hypnotism or not and yeah they, I can they don't even that. they don't even need to be a vampire just just women can just do that <laughs> just <laughs> have our shepherds for a pretty woman they'll do just about anything yeah acting a little bit or or what like man but this is also but it's I funny mean, are because... you in disagreement i don't know yeah i i agree with it um I, also what what'd you say no comment okay <laughs> Also, it's funny because, uh, you know, we all we all think of like, you know, look at like more modern horror movies, like slasher movies and stuff. We always automatically think of the final girl and like the, you know, the slasher Jason or Michael or whatever is always chasing these girls and killing them. But really, the body count is usually more male oriented because there's all the brothers and boyfriends and everything who are butchered trying to save the girl, you know, from the monster in the first place. And while women die in these movies, too. Um, the, like historically, if you look it up, it tends to be more male victims than female. Interesting. In I things. wouldn't have thought yeah. that, especially with slasher movies. Like we were watching The Burning last night, and it was just like woman, tit death, woman, neck death, yeah. woman. <laughs> yeah. No, but this isn't this isn't across the board every movie. Yeah. No, yeah, I'll be interested just... to see though across the board. Like, yeah. In, in general, in general, like if you watch the Friday Thirteenth movies and you kind of add it up. Um, although women always tend to be seem to be the main target of the killer, and though many women die in these movies, uh, men seem to seem to die in bigger numbers. Like if you if you put four, you know, if, if you if you start a slasher movie with four teenage girls and four teenage guys, you know all the guys are going to fucking die, and then you wonder which girl is going to live, and then you were mm -hmm. like, oh well, this one didn't have sex or smoke pot, so she's our final girl. You know, <laughs> that's just how they go. You know. <laughs> The guys almost never make it, ever. What a time! Um, <clears throat> they almost never do. I, Even the ones I, where you think they're going to do it because they're like a good dude, or like 
Like you really think for a while in Nightmare on Elm Street that Johnny Depp's going to make it, but he doesn't. You know? No, I mean in slasher movies, yeah, I, I can see that. I can definitely mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. Well, I think so. that still this manual at best is a uh, suspect um, with its advice. I-, I wonder is if it's sponsored. It's highly, sus- highly the suspect. Nike, <laughs> the Nike company maybe has a stake in there with the whole running shoes thing. Like maybe. I'm not quite sure. So uh, I'll take I'll take it with a grain of salt, but I do appreciate yes. you sharing. Yes, again, this is a field guide to monsters by David Elliott, uh, and it's it's filled with pictures. It's more pictures than anything else. Uh, it's just a silly, fun book, more about monster movies than anything. And he he mostly goes at it with humor that isn't necessarily funny. Uh, it's fun, though. But it's, I but enjoyed, it's humor. Yeah, I enjoyed the humor now read. I didn't laugh, but yeah. It, yeah, it's not laugh out loud funny or laugh funny or smile funny. It's kind of like a, meh, meh, you know, kind of like a joke your grandpa tells you kind of funny, you know. <laughs> my grandpa is dead um so anyway mine too mine too both of them yeah all right so i think since we uh just spoke about dracula that's a perfect reveal for our segment what the hell was that are you being buzzed by a helicopter <laughs> yeah i don't know the <laughs> they finally buzzed they that finally me. found me i'm on the bottom floor and uh yeah loud ass motorbikes come by and i'm afraid i'm gonna have to mute myself oh no you're uh, fine you're fine it's okay it's okay all right, well, that brings us into our segment, Monster Mash. You know, maybe a jingle would help. Watch the monster. Oh, watch the monsters. <laughs> monsters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We watch the monsters because that's what we're talking about. Right, Christopher? That's right. We watch the monsters uh, and we love the monsters. And. <clears throat> We've been you know, doing this whole series. So far, we've covered Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Wolfman. But because we have the prestigious Jonathan Butcher in the house today, uh, we wanted to talk about the king, the undisputed king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Uh, no, we're talking about the king of the monsters, the undisputed king of monsters. And that is, of course, the vampire Count Dracula. So, gentlemen, this is a huge topic to cover um before we even get into the the book and the movies and everything i wanted to let people know a couple of uh interesting facts about dracula now the one that too let's do it oh oh awesome awesome one that um one that i think is is really astounding and this is kind of debatable it kind of changes as time goes on depending on how many movies are made but dracula is by and large the most filmed fictional character of all time. There's been over 200 movies featuring Dracula, not just vampires, but wow. specifically Dracula. Uh, the other the other two fictional characters that come close are uh, Sherlock Holmes and Hamlet. Uh, so this is particularly impressive. Like, think of like you know how long we've. Uh, well, I mean, you know, going into uh, film is different, of course, uh, but but sometimes. You know, I'll, I'll I'll give this trivia question to people and be like, hey, what what fictional character do you think has been, you know, in the most movies? And people say like, oh, Batman or something. I'm like, man, that's not even close. You know, that's like what ten movies maybe. It, Dracula's it, over two hundred. You know, it's interesting. wild. Like worldwide ones. Are you talking? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I I think like okay. So like it that may totally make sense. Like I I think 
I would have guessed, like, if you were like, how many do you think? I would have definitely guessed more than 200 with even mm. just with Dracula. But like Hamlet, what's the, there's got to be a huge drop off between like, how, how many fucking movies is Hamlet in? Oh, hundreds. Yeah, hundreds, dude. Same thing with Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock well, I mean, Holmes and Dracula. Sense. That makes yeah, sense. Sure. Yeah, no, no, Hamlet, absolutely. There's been, and you got to think like this is worldwide too, you know? Uh, so, yeah. You haven't Hamlet seen like has... Hamlet versus the vampires, Hamlet yeah, yeah. down under. Well, that's what I'm saying. Hamlet goes like, <laughs> to like, jail. Like an earnest, earnest series, right? Like it's just yeah. Hamlet in like the. <laughs> Dude, imagine, imagine like John Cena playing Hamlet in these movies. Like <laughs> Ernest goes to school. Ernest rides again, or I'm sorry, Hamlet goes to school. Hamlet rides again. I would see I, these movies. I would yeah, go. I see love them. it. I love it because just the absurdity. Like, because I, I assume we're dropping him in. Like, poor Yorick. I knew him well. We would dive off the docks and swim to the girls' camp across the, <laughs> the and look at the boobies. Like, so that's what it would be. Pulling it up, I'm pulling it up right now, and it says by one count there are over fifty versions of Hamlet on film. Okay, there's still no so one near Dracula. No one near so Dracula. The top three, and a huge even drop three, off. is like a yeah. huge drop off. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Number of Dracula movies. Uh, no, this is this is wrong. This says nine, and that's that's wrong. <laughs> Yeah. I could name more than nine just off the top of my head. Um, oh, okay. They're listing them as far as like the original series from the 30s and 40s. Um, let's see. Worldwide. I can't even find like the information on it. But um, yeah, I, I've looked this up before and it's crazy. Um, there, there's like well over 200. Yeah, and, yeah. more uh, than 200 movies have been made that feature Trank Count Dracula, a number that is reportedly only second to films featuring Sherlock Holmes. From Count Dracula, 13 versions you. from Dizzy to Daring. Very nice. So there you go. Um, <clears throat> yes, so that's a fun fact about Dracula. Uh, Jonathan, you said you had a fun fact, too, so I'll let you go ahead and say it so I don't steal your thunder with the other ones that I'm going to mention. That, that is very, very thoughtful. I appreciate that. So I'm I nice, was talking nice guy. Yeah, I was talking about Dracula, and um, I was under the impression, or at least I was wondering, whether Bram Stoker's Dracula was sort of invented what we consider today a vampire. And even, even if vampires had existed before him, I figured yeah. that all of the rules that we know and associate with, with, with Dracula was probably um, Bram Stoker. Nope. Mm -hmm. So apparently the myth of vampires, which came about hundreds of years before Bram Stoker, um, was due to a blood disorder called porphyria. Mm -hmm. So it's an inherited blood disorder. And it's got a number of symptoms which may sound somewhat familiar. So, sensitivity to sunlight. They was extremely sensitive to sunlight, which led to facial disfigurement, blackened skin, and hair growth. Fangs, because repeated attacks of the disease, like they caused the gums to recede, exposing the teeth, which made it look like fangs. Mm -hmm. Blood drinking. So their pee was dark red. So folklore like made made out that they were drinking blood, but also mm -hmm. some like doctors or physicians of the time recommended the patients it. like drink blood for yeah. for the iron deficiency. Yeah, yeah, it was mainly animal blood, but still, aversion to garlic as well. Like the sulfur content of garlic could lead to an attack of porphyria or, and like leading to really acute pain. Um, 
So the reflection's not seen in mirrors. This one sounds a little bit strained to me, but the fact that the uh, the disease leads to facial disfigurement, you know, poor oxygenation apparently is what it leads to the destruction of the facial tissues and the whole face starts to collapse. Patients are, are like understandably avoided mirrors. Right. But the one that I thought was most interesting is fear of the crucifix. So during the Spanish Inquisition, which is obviously a heavily Christian-led slaughter across like yeah. multiple countries, yeah. torture, six, and, yeah, yeah, no six hundred vampires were reportedly burned at the stake. So no fucking yeah. wonder are they afraid of Christian faith and Christian yeah. symbols and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, um, it's yeah. it's very interesting, and uh, it's interesting. Um, uh, because I did know about this and researched it extensively for my novel, uh, Ballad of the Were Vixens, which is the sequel to 13th Coyote, uh, which is a werewolf novel. But in the second novel, there are vampires as well. And uh, so I actually had characters who did suffer from this ailment and like kind of tied that into vampirism because I found that really fascinating as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's a fun fact uh, about Dracula. I've got Shout a couple that are with Pulferia. Pulferia in the house. In the house. Uh, <laughs> the one, the the other facts I have are a little bit more um, focused on the character of Dracula. Excuse me. Uh, for one, Dracula could have been a very different novel. Like many writers, uh, Stoker went through multiple ideas before coming up with the final plot. Uh, one early idea was a dinner party at Doctor uh, Seward's house, where thirteen guests are asked to tell a strange story with their tales all connecting once they've been told, and then Dracula would come in and kind of crash the party. Uh, and that whole thing of like multiple people like talking, uh, coming up with different ideas. It kind of reminds me of like Mary Shelley and Lord Byron, like those people uh, getting together to tell ghost stories. And then of course, Shelley came out with Frankenstein after that. Um, but uh, other ideas for the Dracula novel, including calling Dracula Count Wampyr, uh, W-A-M-P-R-Y. And of course, vampire was originally spelled uh, P-R-Y at the end. Um, <clears throat> and uh, having one of the crew of light killed by a werewolf, a terrifying scene at the Munich dead house. Uh, and we, you know, all this because of the, the extensive notes that uh, Stoker made uh, over a hundred pages are now held in the Rosenbach museum and library uh, in Philadelphia. So you can actually go and look at all of his notes, which is kind of cool. Um, another fact is uh, Stoker never visited Transylvania uh, despite having a, a vital location in Dracula, and of course now, like we just associate Transylvania with vampires, uh, he had never even visited Eastern Europe. Uh, his notes show that he heavily researched Transylvania, uh, including its folklore and history. Uh, in 2019, the London Library discovered the original books that Stoker used in his research, with notes by him in the margins. Uh, Dracula. This is this is a funny one. Dracula was translated into Icelandic, and it completely changed. Um, so imagine like one of your books getting translated to another language and the, and the translator just takes total liberties and change your book. That's basically what happened to Stoker with this. Uh, it was translated into Icelandic in 1901 by Valdemar uh, who was a newspaper editor. The result was, and I'm going to butcher this pr in pronunciation. It was Macht Merlkrana, uh, which translates to powers of darkness. Uh, despite Stoker writing the foreword for this edition, 
Uh, Usamandasan took great liberties when translating the text. When it was translated back into English, it was discovered that he had added more gore and eroticism, cut the novel's length, removed multiple narrators as well. Uh, so, you know, it, for those of you who've read Dracula, you know, a lot of I would probably that. prefer that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, Dracula, that version novel... available translated back into English. Uh, I, I, right, like, I'm not, interested I'm not sure, images. but. I mean, it has been translated back to English. I don't know if it's available to buy. I, I'm, I'm assuming it would be. Um, but uh, yeah, he removes multiple narrators, which, which uh, as, as Jonathan just said, is probably a good idea. A lot of that novel kind of drags because there's so many letters back and forth that are just kind of meandering. Um, uh, yeah, and some critics claim that uh, Osmondson's prose is better than Stoker's. Um Another uh, two more quick facts. Uh, Stoker wrote a Dracula play, and it was pretty terrible. Um, many people. We'll talk about this more. But uh, Stoker actually, that was his original job, is that he worked in the theater, uh, and so he originally wrote it with a play in mind. Um, so, or, or I mean, he he wrote the play after the fact. I'm sorry. Um, so in uh, uh, May of 1897, Stoker put on a performance of Dracula before the novel even came out. That's what I was. Getting getting to. Uh, adapting plays from unpublished novels was common in Victorian times as it ensured the author retained dramatic rights to their story. Stoker quickly put together a mixture of extracts from the novel and additional written dialogue, but the resulting play was six hours long. <laughs> which many of Dracula's most iconic scenes reduced to long speeches. Uh, only two people paid to watch this dramatic reading. <laughs> <laughs> And Stoker's boss, uh, the very famous actor Henry Irving, refused to play the title role uh, and apparently called the play dreadful. Um, Irving, of course, uh, made a big mistake in this. He could have played Dracula. He could have been the first Dracula, uh, but he refused it. He thought that the play first was First and shittest of a six-hour yeah, yes, right. version. <laughs> well, Irving was known to play villains, too. In fact, when Stoker wrote the novel he kind of envisioned Henry Irving as as the count uh, because Irving had played Mephistopheles in uh, Faust and he played other uh, other villains and other supernatural villains. Uh, he was like so a Shakespearean he... actor, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. um, Henry yeah. Irving, I think. Yeah, really dramatic roles. I, I think. Right. He but he often played villains like you know uh, or or crazy characters like Macbeth and things like that. Yeah. So you're yeah you're right about that for sure. And another one more before you really get rolling is Dracula wasn't necessarily based on Vlad the Impaler. This is a common misconception. Um, people believe that Bram Stoker was inspired to write Jack Dracula after hearing stories about Vlad the Impaler, a Transylvanian prince believed to drink the blood of his enemies. However, Vlad the Impaler is never mentioned in any of Stoker's notes for Dracula, uh, despite him doing deep research into Transylvanian history. Stoker eventually found the name Dracula while on holiday in Whitby. It means devil in Romanian and was commonly a surname given to famous and, and more importantly, infamous figures. The fact that this was one of Vlad the Impaler's titles, however, is apparently pure coincidence. Uh, but I have read other or seen other documentaries and things about this where people say that, you know, he had already written Dracula before he really learned about Vlad the Impaler, but then he went back into the novel and added some of the things that he had learned about Vlad the Impaler. So there's different, um, there's different takes on that. So anyway, uh, that's cool. all the, the, the facts I wanted to start off with. 
That's some like top that. facts. Um, I just wanted to quickly say um, Whitby is awesome. Um, I've been to Whitby um, myself, and the castle mm. is really impressive. I haven't been inside the castle. I'm assuming you can. <clears throat> but it's like a really pretty coastal, uh, well, it's on the water's edge town with lots of colorful houses. But then you see the castle on the hill, and it's just like bleak and grim and looking down on everything and they have like a whitby goth weekend every year which is pretty hilarious to be honest <laughs> i've been to that before not because i was a goth but to to, to look at the, the the should we say array of of outfits um that, that are there and uh yeah it, it's an entertaining place and i can totally see why such a castle um might have inspired uh writing like this because it is wow. pretty impressive nice i'll now chris when when you said whitby uh it reminded me of something like I was like, that sounds like something like you, you got when you're driving down the 15, got to make sure you, you go to the truck shop at Whitby because after that, there's no gas for 60 miles. Plus Whitby's got some great pies, you know, like I thought it was like something like that. Uh, but that's the American in me. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's nothing like that. <laughs> I well, make sure I... Y'all stop at Whitby if the tornadoes are coming through. Now they got a big old storm cellar there for you. Yeah, that's that's a different Whitby. That's, that's in uh, that's in Texas. Yeah, oh, that's, that's in Texas. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, as we get into this, as we get into our Dracula discussion, uh, guys, why don't you tell me uh, how you feel about the character? Like, what does Dracula mean to you? And uh, maybe I'll, I'll start with you, John Wayne. I know you're a big vampire fan. So, what does Dracula mean to you? Uh, you know, I do, I do love, uh, vampires and, and Dracula and it just like Dracula to me is, you know, it, it, it's, he's immortal, uh, mm. he's sexy, he does whatever he wants, uh, he lives forever or he dies right now. Um, all of the things that I love, um, and, you know, and like I, I, like I have said, the true, vampire like spirit that i like to embrace is that they are not these reluctant vampires when you're a vampire you're a vampire and uh you act as such um mm -hmm. and so that's and dracula uh, dracula is always like yeah, as we said yeah. as we said yeah he's he dracula was never presented as a reluctant vampire he loved it, except in that one that i mentioned yeah. uh house of dracula right. with john carradine with and that's what made and one we, of the things that made it so bad and we're going to talk more about John Carradine this episode, but yes, yeah, but like, yeah, some exceptions, but like, no, that that is the embodiment of that, and it's uh, but that's what made that movie so ridiculous. That well, one of the things it was just like, why, like, since when is Dracula wanting to be cured of vampirism? That made that was so out of character, yeah, and that was all they were just like, bring and now here's the Wolfman back. We don't yeah, know they, why, but here he is. You know, yeah, yeah. They they gave no explanation. There was, no how he came back to life. There was nothing. It was no, just, that, that movie's the movie's a shit show. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but that's what I love. And I just as even as a as a child, like, you know, I did a, a book report, not a book report, a research report on vampires, you know, and Dracula in fifth grade. Um, yeah, I, I remember you telling me, but go ahead and tell us again. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll do it I'll quickly. Like uh, I was in like the, you know, uh, gifted and talented, whatever, like the uh, advanced uh english and language arts in in a special 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 yeah yeah yeah. so they that give you this research project it was called iSearch, which you know and basically what it's at its root doing is teaching you uh, at an early age how to 
research a topic. This was pre-internet. So it was like teaching you how to use the library and, and encyclopedias and all this stuff. And I have, you know, I just like, well, I'm going to do mine on vampires. And I like watched a bunch of like goofy vampire movies and was just like reading like Dracula and re and like, you know, just doing stuff. And I dressed up like a vampire and like I had an, I had a wooden stake that I had, like my dad helped me make. And I wrote the American wooden stake on it. Cause at the end I like try to do some American express commercial joke. Uh, but I, I just, I've always just been enamored with that. Like it's it's the whole like, I mean, you look at the Lost Boys, dude. I mean, that's you know our Corys are in it, of course. But like that presentation of a vampire, dude. I you know I love that, Chris. And I oh yeah, even say like as I, do I. It's great. I, we do. I was out on Friday night. I went to this opening of this awesome uh, independent art shop out here in, in Las Vegas, and uh, one of the 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 girls when I came in like was like. I want to say lost boys, but I feel like this is just what you look like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, like, that's that's yeah, true. I wasn't dressed. I was just, you know, there. Uh, and I was like, I love that, though. So, you know, I just mm -hmm. I'm just enamored with that vampire. Sure. Sure. Dracula is the man. So or the main person. Yeah. So, anyway, Jonathan, I ramble. Jonathan, please. No, no, no. You didn't ramble. No, no, not just... at all, dude. Not yeah. at all. No, all that was pertinent information. That's what I asked for. Yeah. Jonathan, so, what does Dracula mean to you? Well, so I'm here, essentially, on the other side of the coin, right? While I I like uh, a good vampire film, I am not a fan of Dracula, okay? Oh. I'm very interested oh. in the subject huh? and, and, and to discuss it and to explain it. Gotcha but... journalism? <laughs> no, no we're not, it shouldn't be all about fanboying. We should have both sides of, uh, of the mm -hmm, argument. Mm -hmm. So... I, when yep, it comes absolutely. to horror, like when I was a kid, I, I liked uh, I, I liked Dracula definitely. Um, in fact, one of the earliest cartoons that I remember watching, which probably never made it to the states, was called Duckula. Did you ever see that? Count Duckula, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I made it. Did it? Oh yeah, it was it was popular when we were kids. Yeah, I watched all oh, yeah, okay. yeah. He ate the tomatoes and ketchup. And yeah, everything. he was he was a vegetarian um, vampire because when they were summoning him, they put tomato ketchup instead or instead of blood into the into the thing. So I was very familiar with it when I was a kid, but it's the sensuality and it's the explainable nature of of Count Dracula's myth that just doesn't feel as as horrifying as I enjoy out of my horror. Now, the, the only Dracula film that I truly, truly love is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, the Francis um, Ford Coppola one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't Excellent change movie. a thing uh, with that film. That is just like lavish, overblown mainstream horror to the absolute nth degree, and I think it's fantastic. But It's a masterwork it, for sure. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to horror, I like feral violence. I don't like romantic sort of violence. And I don't like to know all of the answers. This is why I'm a Lovecraft boy. And this is why I love um, like visceral transgressive stuff on the other side of things where it's just like humans are, are the true horror. So I'm hoping that through this discussion today, you can maybe convince me of uh, what what I'm missing or why I should love the things that I've just said that that, that I don't. Um, and just with reference to the the book itself, I really struggle with epistolaries. 
it yeah. distances me so much from from the characters and, and the narrative that I have to admit I've never finished it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, here it I am representing novel. the other point of view when it comes to no, Drac. That's totally no, fair. Absolutely, and I I, I do want to uh, say we do appreciate you being here on your final appearance uh, on the show. <laughs> and uh, dude, it, if I survive dissing Friday the Thirteenth, I can definitely survive that's <laughs> dissing right, you Dracula. Did. You did, but but then you watched some, and you and you kind of turned around on it, though. Yeah, but then I watched Jason Goes to Hell, and now I'm back on uh, the other, well, other side. Don't, don't don't watch that. We should have warned you not to watch that one. Yeah, you can skip that one. You can skip New Blood. There's a couple of them you don't need. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, no, I'm just joking. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Dracula is is a big deal for me uh, as well. But I, I'm not um, I'm not like some mega vampire fan. But I like vampires, and I like uh, you know vampire stories and all of that. Uh, I just uh, my thing is that it just became an oversaturation issue, much like zombies. There was just became so much vampire shit that I got tired of it. Yeah, but um, but much like John Wayne, like you know, when I saw Lost Boys as a kid, I was like, this is what I want to be, you know, because like the guys were like young, hip vampires. They were good looking, and they were very like heavy metal. They all looked like they just they looked like they were Guns and Roses. All yeah, those yeah. guys, give me Didn't a they? mullet, a leather jacket, and a dirt right. Coat. I am fucking there, dude. You they they I mean? all look like Duff from the Guns N' Roses, you know? Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was definitely into that. But even before that, I, I you know, Dracula was always the king of the monsters. You know, like you watch, you know, a movie like Monster Squad and he's the leader of all the other monsters, you know, and that was a big movie for me as a kid as well. And, um, yeah, and then, of course, we get into all the actual just Dracula movies which as we've said there's you know over 200 of the damn things so i doubt any of us have seen all of them um, but we're going to talk about the main ones the most influential ones uh but yeah dracula to me is is that he's the to me he's represents the king of all monsters he's just like at the top not necessarily i'm saying he's my favorite monster but i'm saying like all the others uh, particularly in in film all of them are somewhat derivative of him in some fashion. You know, Dracula could turn into a wolf. So you've got the wolf man kind of taking that from him. Uh, you've got like the, the scary castle, um, you know, whereas, you know, of course, Frankenstein is, a, is an older story and everything. But uh, cinematically, uh, the castle that we have in uh, Todd Browning's, you know, Bela Lugosi's Dracula, that became a, a trope, you know, like the like the big dark scary castle with the cobwebs and the rats running around and and armadillos for some reason as well um that was copied that was copied in every other horror movie going forward to the point now where it's like hokey you know but at the time it was like this creepy new thing this spooky castle uh so there's a lot of this trickle down of um and, and you know, the mummy the mummy is like it, it's you watch the mummy and the plot is like exactly the same as Dracula. It's one of the reasons I don't really care for the mummy story. Cause you have this guy who's this ancient prince who comes back from the dead looking for his long lost love. And it's like, always you're like, this is fucking Dracula. You know, it's the same story. Um, so that's what makes him King, you know, like top shelf to me. He's almost got like a, like a satanic level of influence. Like, isn't he sometimes mm -hmm. called like the Prince of darkness? Like he's got yeah. this yeah. untouchably evil power of, uh, about him. Right. Yeah. I think he he lords that over. Like he's like he's truly the one that's like truly immortal, you know, and let, like these few rules, but he he's he's completely in control of himself. He doesn't mm. turn into 
to Dracula and then like bleh, he like loses all like sense, you know, like yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. He's he's always he's not, always the Dracula. Exactly. Yeah, he doesn't transform. And as you mentioned earlier, Chris, he's he's not put upon by it's not like he's a cur- it's a curse that he's Dracula. No. He, so everyone no. else is kind of like the wolf man, Frankenstein's monster, you know, and we don't know what the fuck deal with the creature is, but like right. Dracula is like cool to be Dracula. So I think that also like is the power dynamic kind of yeah that's 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 a good point too dracula is like the the monster that everyone wants to be you know most people you know people don't want to be frankenstein most people don't want to be a werewolf because it's it sounds like a big hassle uh but uh but being dracula like has a lot of benefits to it being able to hypnotize hypnotize people and and live forever and fly like all these things that people dream of being able to do so dracula um he has that going for him as well um, yeah, he's very in control, isn't he? Like you were comparing him to the to the Wolfman or werewolves or whatever. Yeah. The, you know, they had they. It's pretty rare for you to come across a Wolfman story where they're able to just turn into a wolf at will, like some kind right. of like shapeshifter or something. Team Whereas wolf. Dracula has all the power. The yeah. Team Wolf. <laughs> yeah, well, he also well, he also doesn't necessarily have full control, at least when he starts. But then later he kind of does. Yeah, it depends. It depends on which story. But but um, also Dracula. In, in, I mean, there's been so many different variations of Dracula over the, over the last you know hundred plus years that the stories kind of took on other little additives of their own that they incorporated to the story. But in in some cases, it's it's generally believed that Dracula was the first vampire, even though that like like Jonathan, you said the vampire myth uh, goes dates way before the novel Dracula. In the fictional universe of Dracula, it is generally con- often considered that he is the first vampire, that he sold his soul to the devil and um, became this vampire. And all other vampires are like, you know, uh, or, you know, victims and, and like, then their victims, they're all branched off. They're born from, of from him. him. Yeah. They're, they're all born of him, including Blackula himself. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> almost, I do. And it was a toss up because I almost wanted to wear my Blackula shirt today too. So I was like, Hah. yeah. Um, no, I think you. But, I think you chose the right shirt. I think you did. Well, where do we fall on, like, in that lore? Like, if someone were to kill Dracula, do all the other vampires in existence die then? Well, some. Like again, that goes back to the, um, like the 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 different variations of the story. In some stories, yeah, if you kill the head vampire, all the other ones die. In other stories, it doesn't work that way. Um, but let me give a quick rundown of the book to our audience uh just about everyone particularly if you listen to this show you probably know this story but i'm just going to give you a couple quick uh just a quick breakdown of it dracula is a novel by bram stoker published in 1897 uh and i wanted to make a note of that too because in my mind it was always this much older book like you you think 1897 that's almost the 20th century uh i think because of the nature of the story the time setting that it's in uh, like I and and the fact that it's like tied to Vlad the Impaler and all of that, I always kind of in my mind always had it that it was older than that, but it really isn't. You know, it was almost the 20th century. And I remember on one episode, uh, John Wayne, you brought it to my attention that when they made when the Germans made their ex- uh, expressionist film Nosferatu, which we'll talk about, when they made that, they kind of the you know, uh, royalties. And uh, copyrights, I mean, where it was a little bit of a gray area. And they made the movie without consulting Stoker's uh, family, specifically his widow. So when Nosferatu was made, Bram Stoker's widow was still alive. 
you know, uh, it was only like 20, it was like less than 20 years later, you know, and it's like, to, when you think about that, and like John Wayne, you had told me that, like, you know, she ended up suing, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the people who made Nosferatu. See, I didn't even know that, like, in my mind, the novel and that movie were so distant, but they were really, they were like, I don't know, 15 years apart. It's kind of interesting, you know, when you, when you put it to that perspective. Um, and I do like Nosferatu. I have to say, just to put my yeah, I Nosferatu love, is great. I love that film. Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll talk about that. The shots are magnificent. Yeah, before we get into Dracula, the movie, we'll definitely talk about uh, that. Um, but anyway, the novel, it's uh, the narrative is related through letters, diary entries, and newspaper articles. It has no single protagonist, but opens with solicitor Jonathan Harker taking a business trip to stay at the castle of a Transylvanian nobleman named Count Dracula. <clears throat> um, it was it was mostly written in the 1890s. Stoker produced over 100 pages of notes, as I said before. Um, scholars have suggested that Dracula was inspired by Vlad the Impaler uh, and Elizabeth Bathory, who was known uh, the Countess, who was known to you know uh, bathe in blood. Uh, so he drew different different things. Uh, you know, inspired the novel. You've got Vlad, you've got Elizabeth Bathory, you've got vampire mythology throughout you know history and, and chris um, who could forget the famous portrayal of elizabeth bathory as done by glenn danzig glenn danzig uh, <laughs> in the veronica, veronica <laughs> where she just bathes and stares at the camera and it just never ends bathes yeah. and bathes and bathes and bathes and, and, yeah. bathes and glenn's next movie is a vampire movie we're all eagerly awaiting that um the trailer looks amazing it does, yeah. It's uh, it's it's Death Rider in the House of Vampires, which is just talking a about it forever. When's it coming? forever? I don't know. I don't know. Every time, I, like, it just it, every time it seems to be pushed back. Apparently, it had like a a very limited run to be shown to critics and stuff who've all all, all panned it, of course. Uh, no surprise there. No, I know, right? But um, but no. As far as I know, there's still no official release date for you know Blu-ray or anything like that. But he keeps going back to the editing room. Like, yeah, trying to make it good. Yeah, but you guys are laughing at me. Uh, anyway, Dracula the novel was very positively received uh, uh, and pointed to its effective use of horror. In contrast, reviewers who wrote negatively of the novel regarded it as excessively frightening. Um, Comparing, yeah, I mean, this is this is another what a compliment. <laughs> this is another interesting fact: is that uh, while while Dracula seems may seem hokey to us now we got to remember that all of these things that just seem like hokey tropes were invented by this, you know? So at, at, at the time it was, you know, very, very scary, including the stage show and the, and the movies that came after. Uh, but going back to the novel comparisons to other works of Gothic fiction were common, including its structural similarity to Wilkie Collins's the woman in white. Uh, this is, you know, talking about the novel. Uh, in the past century, Dracula has been situated as a piece of Gothic fiction. Modern scholars explore the novel within its historical context of the Victorian era and discuss its depiction of gender roles, sexuality, and race. Uh, it is one of the most famous pieces of English literature. Many of the book's characters have entered popular culture, archetypical, archetypal versions of their characters. For example, Count Dracula as the quintessential vampire, Abraham Van Helsing as the iconic vampire hunter. The novel, which is now in the public domain, has been adapted for film hundreds of times, and then its characters have made numerous appearances in virtually all media. So when we say King of the Monsters, is the fucking king. Um, so, uh, Jonathan, you had mentioned that you had tried to read the novel and struggled too much to get through it. It is a very dense novel. Um, I read it 
but I read an abridged version. And it was when I was in like junior high, it was assigned as uh, as something that we had to read, but it was an abridged version. And um, it was also right around the time that the 1992 Bram Stoker's Dracula movie came out, which I fucking loved. And I fucking love it to this day. I totally agree with you that it's exceptional. It's my favorite Dracula movie uh, and one of my favorite vampire movies. Uh, so anyway, I read it and I, even with the abridged version, I struggled with it a lot and trying to go back with it. I struggle with it. Um, I think, I think Frankenstein is a much better novel than Dracula is personally. I mean, Jed, yeah, even Frankenstein drags a bit, but the pace is is considerably more uh, faster and also more focused because, as you say, there are so many different types of you know epistolary forms, like the yeah. articles and the letters and the etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just yeah, it's not my thing at all. Yeah, I, you know, I yeah, respect it for for what it is for for sure, but I don't, I doubt I'll ever read it. To be honest, yeah, yeah, it's it it is very difficult to get through. And books that th that type of style of writing was very popular at the time in books. You saw it a lot, even in Frankenstein. It opens with several yeah. letters, you know, um, but it it does seem excessive. It does drag, particularly to a modern audience. It definitely does. Yeah. Uh, but it, John, was, it uh, was before the days of um, even uh, Poe, wasn't it? Eighteen ninety-seven. No, Poe had been writing a little bit around, yeah, uh, yeah. before them, in fact. So no, there's no excuse for pace. Poe po knew <laughs> a, a bit more about pace than. Old well, he was also a short story writer, uh, so his true. medium was very different. Just like just like Lovecraft, who you mentioned earlier. You know, neither of them really tackled the novel. Um, Lovecraft did a couple. Well, he uh, he did stuff that was kind of more of a novella, like at the Mountains of Madness, but he didn't have any. Charles Dix Award, yeah, fair. Yeah, I mean, you did have a couple of longer pieces, but they're really more novella length, you know. Yeah, they're not as long as Dracula, to be fair. No, no. Like I have a book that's the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft, and it's about as long as Stephen King's It. You know, and it's <laughs> probably it, it, no, it is. It's like a little yeah. bit over a thousand pages. You know, mm. that's everything he's ever written. You know. Mm. Um, so anyway, uh, John Wayne, have you read Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yeah, I have. I've read it a couple of times. I actually went over a few, like, kind of skimmed through passages and stuff before, like, mm. just reacquaint myself with uh, with this. It is yeah. a slog. It's it's not uh, easy to get through uh, for sure. Um, I think like when I uh, when I was in college, like, I was doing like a lot of uh, you know, I my degree is like in English and creative writing, so like. I had to like kind of do this weird discipline myself on how I read stuff because we were reading these huge like D.H. Lawrence and all this stuff. And I, I would have to go to the library and sit in one of those little cubicles that like sequester yourself. And like it was all this reading that I had to do was so dense and so much that I would take it chapter by chapter and actually like read it and outline just spend hours like outlining each chapter that I just read. Mm. So that like kind of training my brain like that helps me when i approach things like like bram stoker's dracula um and i just like was like like you guys are talking about, i was like yeah i guess it is pretty hard to get yeah it is it is really like that but yeah um i can understand why you've read it a couple of times that now that i know you've studied it because there are some books that i've studied um that i would never have read for fun right. but which i've gained a lot more out of because i was like look approach you approach it in a different way don't you and you can gain you do. A love for something more yeah like... yeah you definitely do uh, when you're kind of researching it and that's why i would say like i ne wouldn't necessarily recommend dracula as just a fun read yeah but i think i think yeah but i think for 
hardcore horror fans and horror writers i think it's something that you kind of have to uh, you know look into you know you know maybe read at least an abridged version of it um for the time period and even now uh there were those themes that i mentioned though uh some of the themes in the novel many people at the time it came out thought of it as kind of trashy fiction because of some of the themes that um it goes after particularly gender and gender roles um uh academic analysis of dracula as a sexually as sexually charged has become so frequent uh that a cottage industry has developed just around that topic sexuality and seduction are two of the novel's most frequently discussed themes uh the characters are often said to represent transgressive sexuality through their performance of their genders the primary sexual threat of course is posed by dracula um that he will that he will quote unquote seduce penetrate and drain anyone including another male uh so that you know that kind of stuff you can definitely see where people get that from you know the gender and sexuality issue another big one is race um again this was victorian england um so dracula and specifically the count's migration to victorian england is frequently read as uh as like invasion literature uh that you know people had like the protection of fears about racial pollution you know of, of not wanting to, to of keeping the others out because that's what dracula very much is he's alien in every sense of the word you know are you going to say something jonathan um well you mentioned the um the the alien aspect of uh of dracula and that is one thing that i do uh really appreciate about the myth of, of dracula especially over uh, over vampires who've just been turned the fact that um he's been around for centuries and even if he was human at one point you would grow alien and distant from uh, a race that you have you know have seen born and die many many times over and you've you've seen the turn of the centuries and the changing of the uh, the generations and stuff like that and you're you're also using you know this this race that perhaps you once were as your own personal cattle mm -hmm. um and i like i like that the idea of having the wisdom of the centuries and 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 becoming so detached from your your previous nature or at least the nature of those creatures that surround you but that's also an aspect that I don't like about it because mm. then why does he love women? He mm -hmm. falls, you know, he, he's, he's obsessed with, with Mina, despite the fact that for centuries he's been feeding on, on humans. Mm. So I, I, can, I, that, I, can I can't quite that. tie that I together. Take, yeah, I can take it. I can take it. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. He is hot, dude. <laughs> he loves hot ladies. Winona Ryder. <laughs> Oh man. Well, well, no, he he sees in her, you know, the the woman that he once loved and everything. So that that's a that's the issue. But uh, in in speaking about um, you know it being emblematic of invasion literature, a number of scholars have indicated that Dracula's version of the vampire myth uh, is anti-Semitic stereotyping um, because of the time that it came out. Uh, that its portrayal of the vampire. Uh, to the immigration of Eastern Europe, um, you know, is is like about uh, thinking that, that it's in relation to the immigration of Eastern European Jews in England. Uh, between 1881 and 1900, the number of Jews living in England had increased sixfold because of uh, pogroms and anti-Semitic laws elsewhere. Uh, so some people kind of relate it to that because of the time period that it came about. And of course, you know, fear of Fear of any other, fear of immigrants, fear of uh, people that are different race, different cultures, 
I mean, that's just unfortunately ingrained in, in people uh, and ingrained in animals, you know, like, you know, alligators will shun an albino alligator, you know, the black sheep, you know, like all of those things, anything that's different is can be frightening to people. And so a lot of people read that into the Dracula story. Uh, one other thing about the book uh, that's a main theme is disease. The novel's representation of vampirism has been discussed as symbolizing Victorian anxieties about disease. Uh, the theme is discussed with far less frequency than others because it is discussed alongside other topics rather than the central object of discussion. But for example, some connects its prediction of disease with race. Uh, yeah, there's a scene where, which an English worker says that the repugnant odor of Count Dracula's London home smells like Jerusalem, making it a quote-unquote Jewish smell. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Jewish people were frequently described in Victorian li literature as parasites, uh, you know, uh, that the Yiddish bloodsuckers, quote-unquote. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of this to kind of consider when you look at when you look at the novel from a more modern with more modern eyes, you know, not necessarily saying that Stoker was anti an anti-Semite, but saying that this kind of reflects some of the attitudes of the time and some of the prejudices at the time and the fears that people had that that England was being invaded by quote unquote others. I, I just and like that, Chris, that reminds me, like it, it makes me think, I guess, of like um, you know, presenting it in the it is presented as like this disease and if we like look at this in a modern thing like this is like you know dracula is like this fluid character who's like, i'll fuck anything and he does all this and that but this is like <laughs> i'll it, fuck it, anything but like, moves. anything that moves but like what we're talking about this like it's a disease it's this reminds me of like the we'll pray the gay away or like people right. approaching it like that and also like you know that they can uh fix you or you know these certain ways like mm -hmm. all of these things that dracula i guess could represent but even look at it like it, this, it of people down to a disease that we can cure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But even think of it like this: like, is like, what does Dracula do? He 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 comes to your town and goes after all the hot women. You know, mm -hmm. like that's such a stereotypical like, man, that's like racist that's... attitude. You know, like the Saturday night, gonna come, he's gonna, yeah, he's gonna take our jobs. He's gonna take all our women. They're gonna fuck our women, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Simultaneously, goes for all the jobs and is a lazy bum. And the women, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The jobs, same time, the women, <laughs> all of it, and yet a lazy bum. Yeah, yeah. So. uh yeah, so that, that that those are some of the themes that people associate with the book. Yeah. Now, moving on, uh, we're going to talk now about the movies. Uh, now, it is people genuine generally consider Nosferatu the first film that's based on Dracula, but it is and it isn't at the same time. The very first film featuring Dracula was called Dracula's Death. And it's a silent film that was co-written and directed by Coralie Lathay. Uh, and it's a it's a Hungarian film. Uh, the film is the first appearance of Crouch Jack Dracula from Stoker's novel, but the film does not follow the plot of the novel at all. It he barely even seems remotely related, except by name. Um, the character of Dracula, I mean. Uh, it's basically a, a woman experiences frightening visions after being admitted to an insane asylum where one of the inmates claims to be Dracula, and she has trouble determining whether uh, the, her visions are, are real, if he's causing them, or if she's just crazy because she's in an asylum. Um, it's 
so yeah it has nothing to do with the book uh it's also a lost film like no copy of it exists anymore um but it's, are there even it's, images from it or anything there, yeah there are a couple of images that you can see very grainy black and white images from it um but uh yeah let me see here yeah since it's released four publicity photographs of the film surfaced in hungary so you can see those and like you know the posters um and i will say that the actor who plays him paul asconis when you look at the picture it's kind of disturbing the way that he looks as dracula um but yeah, no, the film no longer exists, much like Lon Chaney's London After Midnight. It's one of those vampire movies of the Scion era that just didn't survive. So that was the first one. The second uh, was, of course, Nosferatu. Now, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys tell me what you how you feel about Nosferatu, because you both seem to have strong opinions. John Wayne? No, uh, you're our guest. Please go. Okay, I I really like Nosferatu. Um, it feels yeah. de uh, detached enough from the elements of Dracula that I'm not so much of a fan of because he, you know, his appearance is repulsive. It yeah. is such fantastic uh, makeup and costume and everything for Nosferatu himself. And there are certain shots um, from that movie that I think are genuinely haunting. Um, I love oh, yeah, the like lighting in it, like when he rises up. Um, yeah, slowly the like this. Yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic. Genuinely creepy. Um, the scene great atmosphere. Too, the scene too, where um, where his shadow reaches up over the. It's just his shadow cast over the woman's chest, and he closes his fist, and it like kills her heart, and 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 kills her. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, uh, Nosferatu, uh, subtitled the Sym a symphony of horror. Is a 1922 silent German expressionist horror film directed by F.W. Mornaru and starring Max Schrett as Count Orlock, a vampire who preys on the wife of his estate agent and brings the plague to their town. And that's one of the reasons you mentioned how horrific he looks. He looks very rat-like. He has rat-like teeth and kind of a pointy yeah. face. Yeah, John Wayne's got it holding up an action figure right now. Dope. Um and and that's because like he brings this plague, you know, and like you know, rats are so associated with the plague because of the black plague. Um, so, so yeah, uh, you know, John Wayne, you had mentioned earlier that Dracula is sexy, um, but in Nosferatu, he's anything but sexy. He is grotesque as, as Jonathan just said, uh, originally, including in the novel, although Dracula is very seductive, Dracula was never sexy originally. It was only later in the movies that the actors who played him kind of made him more more of a sexual being. He was like most traditional vampires were you know considered in folklore as being a ghoul, as being this like hideous creature. Uh, and even count in the book, like he's hundreds of years old, and as he drinks blood, he looks younger in appearance. Hasn't he got a long, dangly white mustache in the book as well? I think. Yeah, he does. He has a, yeah. a like a Fu Manchu style mustache, and they, <laughs> and, that, and he also wears the top hat, uh, which is like the we John don't Carradine. Want a strong look, like the John Carradine, um, and also like in um, as, as Gary Oldman when he played yeah. him too. Um, I was merely yeah, looking for the cinematograph. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, very good. That was very good. Um, Okay, so anyway, back to Nosferatu, John Wayne, your your take on the movie? Oh well, I, I mean, I, I love that movie. Uh, as Jonathan said, there's just excellent visual 
and you were saying because I just think there's striking images from that movie that I think are associated with Dracula or vampires, like just in the zeitgeist, like you know the the shadows, the hands, like when he dies at the end, like you know, yeah. Like, like how many times have I walked out from like the bar and it's daytime and I like those are timeless vampire type of things. Yes. And he is hideous. Like I have the Migo like fucking glow in the dark Nosferatu that I'm holding yeah. right now. Um, yeah, but, he, he's such an iconic look to him. You know? he, he does. But like he he still is like going after the girl. He he's hypnotic like he's a vampire he's drag like mm -hmm. whatever like he he can throw the glamour on you and you'll think he's like he looks like a rat fuck with these pointed ugly mm -hmm. teeth but that's not what you're seeing you're seeing what he wants you to see that's another like right. your power of dracula you know you, that glamouring like all of those kind of weird things he can have like the effect um I, I love that vampire. I love the way that he's represented like in other, like the shadow of the vampire, like the Defoe, mm -hmm. Will Defoe play. Like if you haven't seen that. That's great. It's awesome. It's so fucking awesome. It's kind of like. Stephen King also gave us that style of vampire uh, mm -hmm. with Salem's Lot. Salem's I mean, Lot. He, he mm -hmm. looks exactly like the, the Nosferatu. Yep. Uh, fun fact too, uh, Max Shrek, who played the vampire Count Orlock in this movie, um, he was kind of strange in appearance, even without the makeup. And interestingly enough, his last name Shrek is German for terror. And he didn't just give himself that name. That was his given name. He was born with that name. Uh, so imagine you go to see this movie in the twenties and the guy's name is Max Terror, you know, <laughs> Max Terror. He's pretty, the man you love to fear. Pretty badass, dude. I mean, you're definitely yeah. an American gladiator. Yeah. Like, yeah. if like it hasn't been invented yet, but uh, uh, now I, I was gonna say like, even just uh, on the most fraudy thing, sorry, Chris, mm -hmm. but like, like, yeah. like even like modern, modern times in comedy with like the, what we do in the shadows movie, like, you know, the sure. series is very popular. I like the series. I think it's hilarious, but the movie is so awesome. And they all represent like these different versions of like the vampire. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, in the show too, they have those Nosferatu type exactly. vampires. But yeah. I love like yeah. Peter is the Nosferatu vampire. Yeah, and, and like <laughs> they just talk. He's like, and then I looked up, and it was Peter. You yeah. know, he's just like <laughs> all the time. He's just, yeah, I, I just yeah, love he's him. like old. He's an old school vampire yeah. ghoul. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely had a long lasting legacy. Uh, and we almost didn't have that because the film was also very it was it came very close to being a lost film uh we mentioned earlier the the lawsuit that came about from stoker's widow when this movie came out uh and the movie in its uh intertitles it acknowledged dracula as the source but the story is still very different the characters names are changed around um it was kind of like a, it was a low budget film made by germans for german audiences that's what it was generally that's what it's generally considered you know as part of the uh the silent german expressionist horror film movement um so what the court decided uh with that lawsuit was that even though like you know they tried to they tried to make several changes to the film to alter it so it wouldn't be too much like stoker's uh vision uh the court ruling ordered that all copies of the film be destroyed 
And so uh, most of them were, but a few of them managed to survive to be hidden by people who love the movie. Uh, and so now it's you know regarded as a influential masterpiece of horror cinema. Uh, but luckily it survived, is my point, because it almost didn't. Yeah, and I'm glad it did. Very cool. Love that movie. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, so the next movie, of course, is the big one. But before that, in the interim, there was a lot of stage production of a, you know a play of Dracula based that was based on the book that was closer to the source material, but was not the six-hour-long fucking slug that Stoker came up with. It was a you know one that was um, you know broken down. Um, let me see my notes here. Um, it first was a big play in Britain. Uh, with, but it was generally considered kind of a skeleton of the novel, like very Cliff Notes version of it. And a lot of the stuff, and this is the 1920s, a lot of the stuff had to be changed because they couldn't have scenes like with Dracula on the boat crossing the seas and stuff like that. So a lot of it is just people in rooms talking, as a play tends to be. Um, let me see uh, So that that was the that was like all the rage it was very popular in britain and so it was what decided it was that sorry this was in the 1920s uh and let me let me pull up this so this is like pre-22 like that nosferatu was 1922 right no no this is this is between nosferatu and um and the 1931 Dracula. Oh, okay. This is post. Okay, post. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and there was a there was a very famous stage actor named Raymond Huntley, uh, who played Dracula, um, in on in the in the films. I mean, in the in the plays. Oh, no. uh, so he was he was enormously popular, and to this day, um, he's the he's the person who's played Dracula the most times, um, because you know not counting like. Yeah, yeah, because of how because many times he did the play, each, night each performance, count. right? Exactly. So he's played him the most times. Wow, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so he was the most famous Dracula um, before Bela Lugosi. Um, or Bella. And then what happened is the 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 play was so popular in in Britain that they decided you know to bring it to America, or you know America decided to do its own version, I should say, um, because what happened was. The, the script that was written, the play that was written for British audiences was a little too British. There was a lot of idiom, idioms and a lot That's of... That's not possible. You know, yeah. <laughs> too, too British? Come on. I can't, believe, I can't believe, Chris, that you didn't start the, that with like, a, and I, I apologize in advance, too British. <laughs> it doesn't matter. This is, your, this is your last appearance. No, matter no, of, no, no. Like what I'm, what I'm saying is that there were too many idioms and too many slang terms that Americans wouldn't understand because it's more in the British lexicon than it than it was in English. In, in not in English, but in in uh, American. <laughs> I guess you, you talking, should say. Are you talking about a bellhead, Chris? Yes. Yes. <laughs> bellend. 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 Damn it! I yeah. fucked it up. God damn it! <laughs> it's the end of the Willie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so, so it had to be rewritten. It was rewritten by someone else, but it was the same type of thing where it was kind of in a very abridged skeleton of the original novel. And that play is where we first got Bela Lugosi was in that stage production in the 1920s, uh, which was a huge smash. It was an absolute sensation. People loved it. Uh, at the time, Bela Lugosi was a stage actor. Uh, you know, he was Hungarian. Uh, he came over as an, as an immigrant to the States 
and he barely spoke any English at the time. He learned all of his lines phonetic phonetically, um, which is kind of amazing. Um, because and then when you and even when he made the film in 31, he still didn't know much much of English. Of course, he became fluent in it later, but he was just he knew the lines just from doing them over and over and over again. But his not only was it his accent that that kind of gave Dracula that kind of mystery, mysterious kind of feel, but it was also the way he spoke because he didn't speak English as his first language. So he has these kind of weird pauses uh, and kind of has a, a strange way of like the way he puts certain emphasis on certain words and not others. A halting that, way of speaking. like Yes, yes. And people just thought it like people saw that and was like, it made it feel more like he was truly undead. Like he was almost struggling to even speak or come up with words, you know? Uh, so it, it really get, gave him that powerful presence on stage. I, I, um, and just like rewatching this, you know, recently for the, for the show, rewatching it again. Um, and knowing that, you know, that he barely spoke English and the way that he had to break down these lines, there are some lines that he says, with ease and i was wa like, watching it a little bit more detached where i was kind of like watching for things i was like man he said that line like nothing but like maybe two lines before he's like undow you you know he's got these pauses like i said that whole yeah. speaking and whether it was intentional or not like or maybe split the difference like you said it added to the character of that he created of dracula that we know absolutely Absolutely. And and it's been forever imprinted, not just on Dracula, but on vampires. Right. As a whole. Yeah. Um, was it a big budget film? Um, because it, I think that the images of the castle and stuff, both outside and in, look really, really cool in it. And I wasn't mm -hmm. sure if it was like uh, what sort of budget it was, whether it was like a surprise thing that it, that it became so popular. Yes. Um, um, yeah, I, I do have some information on that, um, but I... Before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit more about the play because he was in the play before the film came along. Um, the The British play was very much a vaudeville type of thing where they had a lot of Dracula was almost like a magician. You saw like they had a trick coffin and things like that where it looked like he turned into sand. And so there was a lot of that. Whereas with the uh, American version, they kind of got rid of a lot of the like magician uh, feel, which except when we brought it back with John Carradine's look. Uh, but but in the play they just made it, it was more dialogue driven and everything in the in the version that came out in New York. Um, also, this was uh, Bela Lugosi's Dracula was the first iteration of Dracula, the first representation of him that had those heavy sexual overtones. Not saying because he was you know the most handsome guy in the world or anything, but f f women tended to really gravitate. Uh, towards him and really like him because you have this this common fantasy of like you know the tall dark stranger that pulls you into his world and like has a spell over you and so like this version of dracula was the sexy one that has lasted going forward and um became what we think of as dracula before him it was all these rat-faced fucking nosferatus he's not the dracula we need he's the one we deserve Sexy and there's there's a lot of bits in it that are very very suggestive for the time like i think it's one, at least one of the first w women that he kills he like looms towards her and then like drags her off screen and you don't mm -hmm. 
you know you could be you could imagine him doing anything to her there sure and then um, you know then uh, when he's looming over her sleeping in the bed and getting closer to his like mm -hmm. uh, beautiful victim and stuff like that yeah yeah see that. it became it became more sexual uh when he wasn't a visual visually a ghoul you know uh, because Nosferatu lurks over the women's in, in bed too but no woman wants to open their eyes to that you know <laughs> but opening their eyes to a Bella Lugosi or a Gary Oldman or a Franklin Gala, that'd be a different story. Uh, or Leslie Nielsen. Or even Leslie Nielsen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, he did play Dracula. It's true. Um, so the, the stage show was an enormous success. And so Universal became interested in it. In fact, uh, it was one of the first properties that the people at Universal uh, looked after buying the rights to was Dracula. Uh, before they made Dracula, they had much success in, in horror with The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Phantom of the Opera. Uh, and both starred, uh, you know, um, Lon Chaney. Senior. Um, I'm sorry, what? John Wayne, you said? Lon Chaney Sr., right? Correct? Yes, Sr. Uh, and so he was the original first choice for Dracula. Uh, even though Bella had been playing him so successfully, uh, and was so popular on stage, they wanted a film actor. And so they were originally going to go with him, but unfortunately he died. So he was therefore not uh, available, uh, but they still were looking at. <laughs> that would have been a creepy fucking bitch. Dracula. <laughs> yeah. If he had managed they, to come oh, back from the dead, it would have been perfect. No, if it well, was just like animated weekend on at Bernie's him. They just weekend <laughs> at Bernie's the first Dracula's launching. <laughs> Oh my God, that would have been all, dude. All would have been, been different. Would have been shamed. I'd changed. probably have a beard now or something. Like it would have really fucked up the time space. I think. But he also had played a vampire already in London After Midnight, which is a lost film, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, and of course, Janey was known for doing his his own makeup, and he was very good at it. Uh, so we can only imagine what kind of makeup he might have used. When you look at the, you can, even though you can't watch the movie, you can look at pictures of him in London after midnight, and it's this very iconic look with all of his teeth are fangs, and like his, he had found a way to like make his eyelids, bottom eyelids droop down, so he had these bulging eyes. So it, he may have ended up looking much more ghoulish in the Dracula movie if it had been him instead of Bella. Uh, so it's it's always interesting to think about what might have been, you know, the movies that were never made. So, yeah, uh, Lugosi, he really had to fight for the role. And in the end, he managed to get it. Uh, and quick rundown of the movie. Uh, it's a 1931 American pre-code pre supernatural horror film directed and produced by Todd Browning. Now, Browning was a very successful silent film uh, horror filmmaker. Uh, and this was one of his first talkies, as they were called at the time. Uh, and it's very much based on the stage play that was written by Hamilton Dean and John L. Balderston, uh, which in turn, of course, is, you know, from the, the novel. Uh, and so it was produced and distributed by Universal Pictures. Uh, it was the first sound film adaptation of the Stoker novel. Several actors were considered to portray the Tal character. Yeah, I always, already went over this. I'm sorry, I'm just going through notes here. Um, it was a commercial and critical success upon release and led to several sequels and spinoffs. Uh, and it's been, of course, a huge influence on popular culture as and not just vampire and Dracula culture. Uh, it established Lugosi's portrayal as a, as an icon, as well as the, 
as the typical vampire in later works of fiction. Uh, in 2000, the film was selected by the United States Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. So that's just a quick rundown of it. Um, so I have so a let's question. get into the movie. Go for it. Yeah. I, I don't remember it as well as I would like to, um, mm -hmm. but was this or was it a later one the first time when you actually saw blood you know it's blood is a central theme within it you don't see it at all i don't know no i don't i don't believe you see a drop of blood in this movie no mm -hmm. um uh, in reference to the budget uh it began shooting at universal city on a budget of $355,000, which was a, a much bigger amount of money at, at the in the 1930s too. So it wasn't necessarily a fault, small film. Universal was a big studio. Um, and uh, yeah, it was received very well. It did, did very well. Again, there's a lot of stuff that they weren't able to do in the movie because uh, it was based on, so it was based on the, uh, the stage play. Uh, so yeah, we can talk a little bit more about this guy it, it became um it became so iconic like i was saying not just the not just uh, the portrayal of dracula which uh you know bella's style and accent like you know it, that's what we think of when we think of dracula to this day we think of his version of dracula uh, but it was also just uh, it was very influential just on horror films as a whole uh, with the, you know, with the spooky castles and and the you know full moons and stuff like that, uh, it, it was kind of the OG when it came to all that stuff. And all other horror movies after it, Frankenstein, Wolfman, copied its its aesthetic style. Um, after that, I do like how straight faced it all feels. It was way before, like even though like Christopher Lee is a fantastic um, Dracula, oh, yeah. there, there there's there's elements of cheekiness in that because like there's an emphasis on the, the buxom virgin and stuff like that. There sure. was none well, of that. It's, like, it's a hammer film. So the hammer yeah. films definitely all had the, the buxom, you know, beautiful young women for sure. Yeah. But Bella Lugosi does like plunge himself into the role with no, not that Christopher Lee did cheeky winks towards the camera, but it feels mm -hmm. like, a, like they're legitimately trying to make a scary film, um, which yeah. I do dig about it. And it was, yeah. it was, um, it was, con it was considered like the most frightening movie ever made when it came out, you watch it now and it's hard to imagine it, but women were fainting, you know, men were shaking. Like people were really afraid of this movie, uh, when it came out, uh, because it wasn't like anything they had ever seen before. You know, it was, a, it was, Go ahead. Like I, I was just going to say because I I think like Nosferatu has got such a a deeper creepier atmosphere to it. I wonder what it was in particular that they found most most creepy about it. Whether it was the whole package, whether it was the Dracula character actually having uh, an added level of realism to it because people are actually speaking and acting around exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. You think it was that yeah. part? No, I definitely think that had a big big thing to do with it uh, because yeah, you know. Uh, Nosferatu was a German silent film and yeah he looks scary and it's got these great imagery uh, but Dracula also has a lot of great imagery and a lot of atmosphere uh, and then of course like when you first watch it the earlier early in the film Dracula isn't threatening at all he just seems like a guy and then as you slowly learn what he truly is it becomes more frightening so it's kind of this creep factor where you know it's like it slowly creeps up on you and becomes this horror movie uh, and i think also a lot of the 
uh, of the terror comes not from the character Dracula himself, but the character of Renfield, who is yeah. this totally unhinged maniac in the movie, like trying to eat rats and eating spiders and stuff. This was all incredibly shocking to people in the 1920s, you know? Uh, so, and again, this was one of the early, you know, films that weren't silent, you know, one of the first early talkies and one of the first, if not the first um, horror movie that was, you know, had dialogue. Uh, so yeah, it really had a, a powerful effect on people. I'm glad you mentioned Renfield because he is my favorite character in, in Dracula. Yeah, I love he's great crazy he is <laughs> yeah he is and uh he's he's a, a he seems like he's a much bigger character in this movie than he is in the novel or in like other films that were made like even even bram stoker's dracula from 92 he's he's very small character and he's locked up in the asylum for the whole thing whereas in uh the 31 dracula he's kind of all over you know and uh he's he's all over that movie and uh of course the actor uh, dwight fry uh played him and uh played him very very well he's just totally unhinged in the movie uh and then we also have the character of van helsing who has become you know the the monster hunter not just the vampire hunter uh but but in the movie much like in the book he's really a scientist but he's the only scientist who believes in the supernatural so he's the one who's like i've i know this is a vampire and i gotta kill this motherfucker uh, and he was also played by a guy from the theater who had played the character in the play, an actor named uh, Edward von Sloan. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, one of the things that I think makes it so effective is there's a lot of tracking shots in the movie where the camera very slowly moves. There's a lot of pans where it just slowly moves towards something like a coffin before it opens and things like that. So it has this kind of slowly creeping along, almost dragging the audience towards something that they know is going to be scary. So it builds that tension where it's like, it's almost against their will being forced to open the coffin themselves. You know, so it has a lot of that, um, that make it very, uh, very effective. Now, do you guys know about the Spanish film? that was made Elder at the Zero. same time it was made at the yeah <laughs> often on the same day i believe Is it was right? yeah it was there was a there was a because um subtitles and dubbing weren't really a commodity at the time uh, so generally with spanish audiences or people in in, in other you know, uh, countries as well when a when a movie was made sometimes the same company that made the movie in america would would finance a foreign language version of the same film. And in the case of Dracula, they use the same sets and recorded at the same time. Yeah. Other actors on and go. Right? Yep. Yeah. The, the American team would work during the day and then the Spanish team would work at night. But the funny thing is, is that the Spanish crew would watch the dailies of the, of the American film before they would work and they would see it and they'd be like, Okay, how can we top this? Do this better. How can we make it better? You know, like there's a scene in Dracula where I think it's um, I think there's a crucifix or something like that. The guy holds something out to Dracula, and Dracula just swats it away. You know, Lugosi does, the and then mirror. the Spanish the mirror. It's the mirror. It's the mirror. Thank you. Yeah. And then in the Spanish version, they do the same thing, but Dracula has a cane and hits it, and the whole thing like explodes, and it's very dramatic. You know, so you see little things like that. How were they like? They tried to one up. Uh, the the um, the one that was being made in English, and a lot of people consider the Spanish version to be stylistically better um, than than the American one. 
but no one's seen it. Oh, you can watch it. It's it's you on can watch it on Tubi. Oh, you can. Yeah. But I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, sad. no, yeah. I, I just wanted to clarify. It's not a lost film. You can yeah. watch it. Uh, it's actually I have it on DVD. It came with the Legacy Edition of Dracula with all the other Dracula incarnations, and it is quite good. Um, I still think Bela Lugosi is the better Dracula, though. So yes, Bela Lugosi became the, the became Dracula, and to this day, that's who we think of when we think of Dracula. Other many other people famously played him. Uh, Christopher Lee played him in a shit ton of movies. Um, you know, Gary Oldman was like the '90s Dracula that uh, our generation loved. Uh, Franklin Gallup very famously played him in a very sexy sexual uh, remake. Um, and then, of course, uh, we had all those, the spoofs and parodies with you know, Leslie Nielsen and so forth. So many, many actors have played him over the years. But um, one of the one of the interesting things about it is Uh-oh, because... Oh, pop in. Here's my uh, wonderful girlfriend that wants to say hi. Hi. Hiya. Scarlett. <laughs> and a dog. <laughs> Little cameo there. 12.32 p.m. <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> uh i love her so, <laughs> so um yeah so uh there there have been many different people who played dracula but because dracula or because bellicosi was so iconic in the role they've all tried to play against that uh at least some some of the people who played it relatively you know shortly afterwards i think you know gary oldman loved the bellicosi dracula so he incorporates some of that into his performance but christopher lee tried to always play dracula as menacing uh, he he doesn't seem like like I mentioned before. Belagosi almost seems just like a somewhat normal person in the first half of the movie, and then becomes frightening later. Whereas Christopher Lee always wanted Dracula to just be menacing, and he had like the big bloodshot eyes and everything. Um, so a lot of people they struggled with that because it's like we don't want to look like we're just imitating Lugosi, but at the same time, Lugosi and Dracula have become synonymous. That's you know, they're just like yeah, iconic, like yeah that's like that is what you base your dracula off of rather than exactly you know so when you guys just to to get in there when you guys picture dracula someone Mm -hmm. says to you dracula do you both picture bella lugosi i do if if you picture him in your head i picture him or i picture someone who who resembles that type of look with this combed back hair dark hair combed back clean shaven with uh, uh, you know, dark clothing with a cape or cowl, you know, um, or or not not like a mask, but like a cape and a collar, a uh, cloak. That's the word I was looking for, a cloak. Mm. Um, so yeah, I I picture that. Um, how about you, John Wayne? I I have to agree with you. Like you, that's that's at least from you know you. We mentioned Christopher Lee. We'll talk about him later. He played Dracula a bunch of times and very noteworthy, worthy of talking about and addressing. However, from our standard, you, you know, you got the widow's peak, the slick back mm-hmm. hair, you have the tuxedo, you have the eyes, like the real eyes, you have the mm-hmm. little gentlemanly smirk or smile. Like he, mm-hmm. he is fucking Dracula. He just is. Yeah, th- that's know? that's the look that I that I think of. You know, and Christopher Lee is great. We will talk about him, but like, mm-hmm. it's something about it when I watch those movies. I'm like. Eh not my Dracula, you know but, what I but, mean? Even, but but even christopher lee has that kind of classic dracula look. look to him yeah. but it's his dra- classic dracula look it's not the one that 
we i don't know what i i don't know i don't know i, th- I think he he kind of he captures that same look because you know you look at uh look at like gary oldman's dracula and he, he he's got the long hair and the mustache you know they tried to make him more like you know what it is in the book as opposed to the bell gosi look uh christopher lee really follows that Lugosi look I think with the cone back hair and the and the and the cape and everything he has kind of and same thing with the guy who plays him I forget the actor's name the guy who plays him in Monster Squad he he has that Bell oh, Lugosi oh he Dracula plays, that is the Bell Lugosi Dracula totally totally uh, absolutely one hundred percent Christopher yeah. is just like it's just not the same it's like a it's not the GoBot version but it's like color correct something's different it's not my <laughs> you know what I mean no it's definitely different it's definitely a different performance but I think the look. To me, I think the look is very on par. But we still um, do agree that we conjure up Bella Lugosi when you mentioned Dracula to us. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, so the movie was a big success. Um, and uh, five years after its release, Universal released uh, a direct sequel uh, that does not star Bella Lugosi and is actually, it's called Dracula's Daughter. And it takes place after the first film. Uh, and then a second sequel, Son of Dracula, uh, which starred Lon Chaney Jr. as the son of Dracula. Uh, so uh, on top of being the Wolfman, he was also uh, the, the son of Dracula. Um, and that came uh, seven years later. Uh, so it's contrary to popular belief. A lot of people think Bela Lugosi played Dracula many, many times, and he didn't. He played. He only played Dracula in one serious Dracula movie, and that was the original from '31. The other time that he played Dracula was in Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, uh, which was much later. It was like 15, 16 years later when he played him. And on most of the images that we see of him as Dracula is from Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. And so sometimes when people watch the original movie, they're like, they comment on how much younger he looks. It's because there was this, uh, this huge time frame between the two. Yeah. Um, it was like 16 years or something. Uh, but People also confuse it because Bela Lugosi did play vampires in other movies. Um, you know, he was in Mark of the Vampire, which was also a Todd Browning film, and it was basically a remake of Todd Browning's uh, um, London After Midnight, which we had mentioned earlier, the lost film. Uh, so it was kind of like the talky remake of that. Uh, and then he was also in a movie called Return of the Vampire, which is kind of considered the unofficial Lugosi Dracula sequel because it he acts like Dracula he looks like Dracula I mean he's basically fucking Dracula it's just they just don't use the name because Universal it wasn't a Universal film and so they didn't want to risk getting sued um but you watch that movie and it's kind of like the closest you'll ever get to seeing Lugosi play Dracula in another film um and but then the others he did play Dracula in other stuff that was comedy like Abba Costello meets Frankenstein he was also in another one called Mother Riley meets the vampire Mother Riley was this like comedy earnest type of thing I don't know of, of the time some shit like that uh but yeah it's he's the most famous most known Dracula and yet he didn't play him nearly as many times as Christopher Lee did or or some other actors did so it's just an interesting fact so no, yeah but that just goes to show you the iconic ness of that performance yeah absolutely not, not just the look the performance the whole thing like yeah that's what makes something iconic and of course it was a little bit of a problem for Lugosi uh for his career is because he was extremely typecast as Dracula extremely and he and so the only other work that he really tended to get was in horror films and he became a horror icon along with Boris Karloff uh he was originally offered the role of Frankenstein and he turned it down 
because it was he felt like any extra could play Frankenstein. He had no lines. You know, he was just a grunting monster. Uh, and so he ended up regretting that. And he ended up playing Frankenstein later in Frankenstein uh, meets the Wolfman. Um, but he, he started many, many other horror films where he wasn't a vampire or anything like that. Um, you know, the werewolf in uh, the Wolfman. Yeah, he was in the Wolfman, man, but he was also in, you know, like a lot of these other films like, you know, uh, the, the Raven and uh, Devil Bat and White Zombie. Uh, he was actually the original bass player for White Zombie. Um, no, that's, I'm joking, but he was in the movie. He was in the I movie. Know. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, later he went on to uh, when he was older, you know, he had problems with with drug addiction. Uh, and he ended up being in like when he was elderly, been in some cheap Ed Wood movies. Um, and unfortunately, those were very terrible movies. That was you know the end of his career. But he has had a lasting legacy. He is a beloved film star. He is the iconic Dracula. Uh, one quick note about that Ed Wood movie. I love that movie. It's great. It's hilarious. Uh, but as far as a biopic of uh, telling Bela Lugosi's life, it couldn't be. I mean, it, it couldn't be more inaccurate. He's portrayed as living alone and being miserable when he had a loving family. Uh, he also, he's like constantly cursing and being vulgar. Uh, Bella goes, he never did that. He was a gentleman and he certainly wouldn't have cursed around women uh, the way he does in that film. Uh, so his family wasn't really happy with that movie and the way he was portrayed, particularly because they portrayed it as if his family didn't exist. <laughs> uh, but Martin Landau is, is an absolute gem uh he's a, he's a revelation playing bella lugosi he's excellent in that movie and i believe he won the academy award uh, for best supporting actor as well um so as much as but as much as i love that movie it's not all that accurate so if you see that movie and if if, if you think of that as as who bella lugosi is i implore you to uh go back and read more about him watch documentaries about him because that was not a, fa a very faithful representation no, but still a, a a pretty funny movie though. A great movie, hilarious. But I mean, it also it, it didn't represent anybody. It didn't represent anybody very well. Like it 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 showed uh, it showed Ed Wood as being this kind of carefree, you know, you know, go lucky guy who just wanted to make movies and just happened to not be very good at it. When in reality, he was kind of like a, a scumbag. He was a drunk and he was abusive and he just and he was a total pervert. You know, he ended up making a lot of writing a lot of trashy porn novels and everything. He was, he was a d degenerate guy and that doesn't really come across in the movie. He's uh, he's, he's uh, seems very innocent in the film. So it doesn't accurately portray people. And a lot of the people that even were still alive when that movie came out, uh, like Dolores Fuller, she was like, that movie couldn't be totally misrepresents me and everybody else. Yeah. So, but it's funny. It's a good movie. Well, probably <laughs> the first in the long line of, uh, Hollywood movies that don't accurately represent yeah. reality. Very true. Very true. Well, um, there's still more to talk about with Dracula having 200 fucking movies. We're not going to be able to get to them all, but we've decided that this is going to have to be another two-parter. Uh, it seems like every time Mr. Jerry Butcher comes on, every time he comes on, the episode has to be two parts because we love having him and we all end up going on and on. Uh, so tune in next time. For more Dracula, more rapping about Drac with our guest, Jonathan Butcher. Um, Jonathan, thank thanks. you for being with us, dude. We appreciate you always. Always, you know it. Yep. We do. We love you. And uh, and 
we love everyone who's listened and you know make sure that you get your garlic spray before you get to go to bed tonight start boiling the water now because it's going to be a pain in the ass to fill that pain in the ass i will <laughs> all right good night everybody well uh 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 <laughs>